All the uh, East River Town Council regular meeting for Monday, October 24, 2016, order. Uh, the record shows that the meeting started at uh, uh, 14 minutes after 6. Uh, that takes us to the agenda. Are there any uh, any additions to be made to the agenda? And deletions? Is the uh, deletion of the uh, bylaw 1989 residential salt waste collection uh, disposal bylaw? We're going to be moving that to the GMP and then uh, next council meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, very good. Any other donations? Done. I'll take a motion to accept the agenda as presented, as amended. Mr. Tatum, all in favor? Um, it takes us to the adoption of minutes for the, uh, for the October 11, 2016 regular meeting of council. Are there any, uh, any additions, deletions, clarifications required for those minutes? Silence is a no, and uh, I'm not willing to accept a, a motion to adopt the minutes of the October 11, 2016 regular meeting council. So move. Mr. Sachak, all in favor? Uh, Mr. Parker, are there any public hearings? There are none, Your Worship. Um, Takes us to presentations, but before I get to presentations, I think what we'll do is we'll uh, just for, uh, members of the public that wish to make comments, um, we'll hear you after the presentations. But if if you wish to make those comments, uh, please put your name into our communications officer, Adam Dietrich, um, and we'll hear you after the presentation. And if Presentations, and if you can limit your comments to five minutes. Now that will take us to presentations. Uh, presentations aren't limited to five minutes, uh, but, but please don't take all night. Uh, the first group we have is Restorative Justice Group, or as they seem to refer to themselves in their presentation, the RJG group. Yeah. You can come to the front. Turn the mic on. And because you've been in the podcast, uh, if you can state your state your name and uh, your affiliation. I'll just take a couple minutes to pull up our um, PowerPoint on. Just so council's aware, our China is also a member of our RZMP advisory committee. Mm -hmm. 
some part-time work with the, the Northwest Peace Early Childhood Coalition through the town. So I have it in on the network. So my stuff's just on my desktop. I'm uh, Constable Nathan McKay, the uh, president member of the uh, Royal Canadian Mod Police Station here in Peace River. And uh, I liaise with the board here and, uh, and uh, give helpful hints and advice, and, uh, as well as with the uh, Airstream PD uh, perspective. Perfect. And so we're just going to take about 10 15 minutes. I'm going to try and be as succinct as possible. It's not one of my talents, but I told Nate to give me a kick when I need it. Um, and we're going to talk for a couple of minutes about what restorative justice is. Um, and, and could look like, why it may benefit communities, um, what's happening uh, in the province of Alberta with restorative justice, and what's happening more regionally, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to the last year, year and a half, and what we're hoping to do in the next number of years. So there's lots to say about restorative justice, um, and I could talk for ages about it, but the core concepts is that it's about um, bringing together people who've been impacted by crime or harm or conflict doesn't necessarily have to be related to like, a chargeable crime, but when there's been an issue or problem, that the people who've been directly impacted and indirectly impacted are brought together to solve that issue. Um, and it's about recognizing the inherent wisdom skills that people do have, that when they are given a safe and respectful place uh, to come together to talk about what's happened, that they can decide on an outcome for themselves. And it's about placing importance on a meaningful outcome for all parties involved. So we, we look at um, criminal justice versus restorative justice. It's not about saying um, one is better than the other, or that we should choose one or the other. It's about looking at the differences in focus between the two approaches. So you'll see on your screen, I've kind of broken down, um, it's not my wisdom on the screen, but it's that of Howard Zare, who's an American uh, founder of the restorative justice movement. Um, he's based out of um, Virginia, I believe. And he um, is kind of, yeah, the leader of the modern day restorative justice movement and kind of a, an authority on the, on the topic. And so he breaks down for us um, the different focuses. So you'll see on the screen that criminal justice, thank you, Criminal justice focuses more on law and state. It focuses on the, the written law. It focuses on um, it focuses on offenders taking uh, getting what they deserve and determining blame. 
Whereas the start of, the start approach looks at crime as a violation of people and relationships. And that as a result of these violations of relationship, obligations are created for the offender. And I, I'll use that word in quotes because <laughs> it, you know, offenders also can be victims and so it's a whole other conversation. But uh, for the purposes of different offenders and victims, um, it encourages offender accountability um, and that all communities, community members impacted, um, have a have a say in making things right. So uh, Howard Zare identifies uh, three pillars to restorative justice and notes that restorative justice asks different questions about uh, a harmful situation. So for one, restorative justice focuses on harm. It asks who has been hurt, uh, what do they need, rather than what law or rule has been broken. Uh, the second pillar is that wrongs or harms result in obligations. It em emphasizes offender accountability and responsibility. And it asks whose obligation is it to make things right. Restorative justice also promotes, and this is a key piece, engagement or participation. It asks who all has been affected, uh, who are the stakeholders in any given matter, and it considers not only stakeholders to include the, the victim and offender directly, but their support people, and depending on the nature of the situation, community members at large, um, because we all know that uh, crime creates uh, a ripple effect out into the community. Okay, well, it's the same as I can do here. Uh, I'm gonna move on to take just a, a moment or two to talk about uh, how restorative justice looks. I talked just a little bit about the philosophy of it. Um, people focus putting the responsibility of building back into the hands of the people who've been impacted. How this looks in terms of process is, it's, there's a multiple number of ways in which it, it can look. And so on your screen, you'll see a list of kind of the primary um, models that are used in restorative justice practice. And also in, um, some of these models can be can and are used not only in, in response to like a chargeable crime, but it can be used as a preventative tool to have a constructive conversation about a community issue, um, or for example, in a school setting, um, and so on. Yeah, as a way to build community as well. It doesn't have to be related to, to conflict necessarily. It's about people coming together and having com respectful conversation. So. Uh, I'm not going to go through each each one. Um, I'll just point out a couple of things, though. Um, they, each of these um, each of these models is kind of a varying degree of of being restorative, and by that I mean it has a varying degree of inclusiveness in terms of who comes to the table, how many people are involved, and there's nuances to each model that focus on certain aspects of of, of the process. Uh, Peace River did used to have an active youth justice committee um, for a number of years, I believe. It was before my time here in Peace River, but I have connected with the former co-chairs to gain a little bit of information about what that looked like. And so I do know that there's interest in, in a, a different approach to, to crime here in our community, which is exciting. And, uh, and that youth justice committee consisted of a, a community panel, and they took referrals from uh, probation for people who had been sentenced through, through, the, through the Crown. Um, a common um, model, and that I'm going to focus a little bit about, um, is on community justice forums. And I believe you have, uh, I think, uh, a copy of the uh, RCMP community justice forum model 
um, with you, and it's on the next slide as well. And the reason that I wanted to provide that for you is because, as you will learn momentarily, um, when it comes to our plans, this is the model that we would like to use here in QServer. And this is also a model that's very commonly used um, across the province, across the country, and, and so on. And it's also a model that I'm trained and experienced with um, as a restorative justice facilitator, which I realized I forgot to mention as <laughs> the key point that I am a trained um, restorative justice facilitator for the past seven years. Um, yeah. And uh, the uh, peacemaking, talking, healing circles is a form of a of a, of a communal conversation. It is rooted in. Uh, in indigenous culture and traditional practices around the world it's not this is not a new way of doing things it's actually an old old new way of doing things um, that puts the power back in the hands, in the hands of people and community to, to make decisions about things that affect them okay. so you will see on the the handout of the community justice board and the next slide i'll just pop it over actually that you see on the screen right now um, you will see how it it highlights um, if you look kind of the top of the diagram, it, it kind of highlights some key pieces of a restorative approach, such as problem solving. It's about including victim and community, a responsibility, a win-win for all parties involved, and it's about reintegrating people who've committed a wrongdoing back into the community and supporting them to get the support, the help that they need. Whereas at more of a, a traditional a criminal justice approach focuses on facts and turning right and wrong. Um, who's going to be punished, um, labeling offenders, and that people, um, you know, there's that alienation, stigmatization of, of uh, people who committed crime across the spectrum of different things, right? So uh, it also lays out the process, which really very, very briefly um, consists of, keep in mind, all these processes are voluntary. Um, say for an example, uh, the RCMP, um, plus someone who throws a, a rock through my front window. And Nate says, you know what, this person's never been in trouble with the law before. They're, you know what, they made a bad choice. They're remorseful, they want to make it right. Um, would you be willing to come together and have a conversation with them rather than pursuing a charge or, or what have you? And you'd say, yeah, okay. And uh, that's, that's great. And then the offender would have to be willing to come to the table too. And so Nate might say to me, you know, China, is there anyone else who uh, you think would, should be there to have this conversation? And he said, yeah, well, my husband. And you know what? My elderly neighbor, she's terrified. She lives on her own. And uh, I think it's important that she come and, and speak to that. And, you know, say this is a young adult, you know, who would you like to come to the table? My, uh, my parent or my sibling or my teacher or whomever. And probably Nate would come. And, we wouldn't be soliciting the community for hey who wants to come and have a conversation and join join in the join it in the dialogue it's the people who've been impacted and who identify others that might have a stake in what happened we would come together after having pre-interviews with trained facilitators to learn a bit about the process and answer any questions find out a bit more about what happened so we're not going into any surprises and then we come together in a circle format the community justice form is a scripted model and we would, it's a two-part process where we talk about um, who's been impacted, how they've been impacted, people have a chance to apologize, they have a chance to ask each other questions, it's led by facilitate, trained facilitators too, and, and so on. And then we move into what's called the, the agreement stage or contract stage, and uh, we 
um, start with the um, who they can usually interact with, they like and they um, And then basically we we don't negotiate so much. We, we our role as facilitators to help um, move people through the conversation, clarify details. We agree, we agree, yes, sounds good. They sign a contract at the end of it, goes back to the RCMP. If they complete it success, successfully within the, the conditions of it, they, it doesn't move forward in the, in the criminal process, in the, in the court system. So, yeah. That's one of the other nice things about both those types of crimes is, is a, lot, a lot of times in the court, the victim does not have the opportunity to to face to face the offender that's usually omitted and they have no idea what's going on they're not part of the process they're not they're not enabled to be part of the process yeah. with with the, the rj program there they have that opportunity to to be part of the uh um, the sort of justice process yeah this thing is handy it has a timer on it. i realize i gotta keep going <laughs> so i'm gonna move on my apologies i'm a little bit of a rambler so but that leads perfectly into how does restorative justice benefit community <laughs> There's many, many reasons. You know what, the first thought is to say it reduces recidivism, which is true. Uh, it decreases pressure on our courts and law enforcement resources, um, especially when it comes to tell, helping them to I mean, address things that really need to go through, come through, through the court process and so on. But the real benefits that we stand to gain from a restorative justice program is that it empowers all people who are involved in a situation. Uh, it empowers victims so that they have a voice. Um, research shows that um, victims uh, feel much more satisfied having a say, being able to have direct conversation with, with the people who've impacted them, and uh, they are more likely to get restitution that is meaningful to them for, their, for the crime that's occurred. It also encourages accountable offenders so that they understand the impact that they've made, especially when we're living in communities where the person you've harmed could be a neighbor or a colleague or or so on. We had, I did a case once and with some youth, um, or young adults, they were of age, and um, they had vandalized one of the young girl's landlords. She had no idea it was her landlord, and when we talked about that, she lost, lost her mind and she said, that's my landlord, I had no idea. So it hits close to home for people. It also allows community, when you get to know people, the reasons for their actions, that when it comes to non-violent, let's say petty crime, but they understand that they don't need to have fear about that. They understand why people might have made the decisions that they did, that they're not bad people. And so it helps to reduce fear and increase a sense of safety in community. And it also encourages people, really simply, to get to know who they're living with in their community and uh, to encourage dialogue about things that matter for us, to, to in relevant circumstances, own our own conflict. And with all of these things, we need to save our healthier communities. There's also a part there where usually when we charge someone, it usually doesn't see first appearance in court for at least six weeks. So you have that opportunity to, to deal with an issue sooner rather than later. So quickly, um, what's happening in Alberta? So Alberta Justice and Solicitor General, General funds um, sort of justice programs and projects. Uh, in 2014-15, they funded 14, uh, including communities Edmonton, Calgary, Lethbridge, Red Deer, uh, Medicine Hat, uh, Three Hills, Innisfil, uh, Muscogees, um, a couple of more, and uh, Fairview as well, which I'll talk about momentarily. And one of these organizations is our provincial restorative justice group, the Alberta Restorative Justice Association. 
Yes, it's not a programming group. They don't see referrals and, and do actual the process. But this was a, a provincial body uh, organized by the government of Alberta and the Mediation Restorative Justice Center in 2005. And because uh, they identified a need to look at a different way of, of resolving some of the issues that we're seeing at the community level. Uh, our justice called uh, hosts annual our annual provincial conference. The 10th one is happening next month. It provides info to anyone who wants it, education and training for the people who do the work, and they support the development of new programs such as ours. Closer to home, I mentioned that Fairview is one of these funded groups. Uh, they have been successfully running since 2006 under the guidance of the Fairview and Area Wealth Community Action Association. They meet monthly for training and facilitate cases as referred by the Fairview RCMP. And they have accepted a few from the Crown as well, and they use the Community Justice Forum or the Community Conferencing Model in the RGO world in like interchange terms, but it's, it's the same thing. And they have a paid part-time coordinator and volunteer facilitators, of which I continue to be one. I've been with their team for seven years. Prior to living in the server, I lived south of Pines Creek, and uh, so I've been trained and working with their team since then. So they've been a huge mentor to us as well as we, as we move forward. So for Peace River, um, when I when I got my sign that it was time to, to get this conversation going here, um, I spent a little bit of time in the fall of 2014, spring of 2015, connecting with people in the community I thought was, uh, that I thought well, were major stakeholders in that restorative justice program. I initially sought guidance actually from the Fairview program, from the Director of Crime Prevention and Restorative Justice, the Alberta Solicitor General, and um, I then went to Staff Sergeant Brett Meyer and one of his constables, uh, Daniela Roche at the time. I connected through them with the Peace Regional Community Advisory Committee, which I continue to sit on for support and, and so on, and who've been a great help. I connected as well uh, and made a presentation to Peace River Rotary to kind of gauge business uh, and community leaders' feedback and what, what they were thinking. Connected with the, uh, the Peace River Friendship, or sorry, Tower Friendship Society Board to hear from them. The, the Youth Justice Committee co-chairs, I talked with probation, and uh, various other individuals through my social professional network, and the response was overwhelmingly positive about, yes, this is something great you should start to, to pursue. So over summer of 2015, I called everybody's bluff and said, who's coming to the table? We had our first meeting in October 2015, so one year ago, 10 people showed up, and we continue, or we're down a couple, but uh, we are eight strong. We were incorporated by January 2016, and we have received startup funding from Alberta Justice and Solicitor General, and uh, Peace River Rotary Club has supported us as well, which is wonderful, and we are building the foundation for our organization right now. So our plan this first year, and our first year project term is kind of from June to June, is to create a, a restorative justice program for our communities within the region that's served by the Peace River RCMP. And really the goal is to increase awareness, build our relationships in, in, with community partners, and build a program with the people who would be referring um, or have or have a have heavy station. And that does include having conversations with the Crown and municipalities and other groups that, that may work with people who would, would want to be involved. And then when we have that strong foundation and our referral process is in order, we plan to train some community volunteers, not only in Peace River, but in some of the other areas and start accepting referrals and see where it takes us. But uh, yeah, so that's the, the plan, as quick as I can do it. 
And so for where we're at now, how the, the town of, we see the town of Peace River helping, um, we definitely would love to hear feedback um, and have your support for, for the vision. Um, and that might include at some point a letter of support in the future for future funding proposals. Um, we would welcome a council member as a board member or a program volunteer. And uh, in terms of the financial contribution, we do have um, some nice support from the province, from Tissue Rotary, and some significant in-kind contribution from Sega Carroll Friendship Center and the Peace Regional Arts and Advisory Committee. Um, but we still uh, are short our total project budget um, by about a quarter, so not, not tons of money. And uh, I envision that um, if our, our regional communities who the RCMP serve um, feel this is a valuable thing for our communities, then it would be great if that difference could be shared by the cost of our municipalities around the region. And so what that would look like and what we would, we would kindly request you to consider is, is, is a $3,000 contribution to our project. And um, I understand that given the time of where we're at and the time of year, that might not be um, an option for right now. But if it's not, um, and you're interested and, 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 and supportive, that you consider it for next year's budget towards our project. So, anything you want to add or? Well, I think we covered all the bases there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a Sorry, 20 minutes, I'm a little longer. <laughs> so, any questions, please? Yes. So uh, when you use the term offender, um, what what process or what guideline do, does restorative justice use as to determine who qualifies to go on that program or who doesn't? So for instance, I'm, I'm assuming that a serious, depending on seriousness of, of offense would be one determination, but being the program's new in town, so let's go back to the window breaking incident where you may have a repeat offender. who. How do you determine if that person qualifies for this program or not? There's um, a few pieces. One is, I mean, RCMP discretion. Let me go like, sorry, I like oh, to talk. I'm okay. <laughs> a lot of it is our discretion as well, just being in, in tune with the program. Uh, a lot of the time we, we have access to, you know, is this a first time offender? In a lot of cases where this program is beneficial is for that first time, uh, time offender. It holds that accountability. Um, secondly, is we, we determine that through our chain of command as well as going through uh, uh, the Crown's office. So we meet together and say this is would be a good candidate for for the restorative justice uh, program. If if it falls through there, then we then we would either you know go through the courts or if we get the uh, the green light, then then we would go through yeah. the RDA program. And the green light consists of. The, the victim um, being willing to come to the table. Yeah. Um, and so it's entirely voluntary. Even if the victim's like, yeah, I'll come to the table, and the victim is like, nope, not having it, the, the RCMP will, will choose uh, along with the town to, to move forward in whatever way. Whether that the charge sticks, and if what happens is that that's, we don't, that's not our business, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And I think there would definitely be, um, as we develop the, what the referral process looks like with the RCMP here, a great bonus for us is that we have a really successful program an hour away from here, who uh, I'm so well connected with and who's been mentoring us. I know um, Nate has connected with the, RC, with the RCMP in Fairview, and so we really can build on the process they already have going. And um, Seth and Meyer has been um, and meeting with him on Friday actually to continue kind of the conversation about what that looks like. So that would be a good conversation to further with with Frank and other members about what does an RJ referral look like. But there's definitely some discretion with it, though. So. 
So in other words, if the if the person that's hurt or the victim, let's mm -hmm. let's just say, or the victim's neighbor, as you were talking about in your presentation, mm -hmm. so if those people don't agree to come to the table, then it doesn't happen. Doesn't. Yeah. And I, I will say, the when restorative justice or restorative practice happens is not absolute. Restorative practices can happen for people who have been in jail for ten years. Correctional Services of Canada has a program that if a victim wants to address matters with their offender, um, there's a, a very uh, thorough, long process guided by you know facilitators and checks and balances and so on. But if the offender is willing, they bring them together, not to obviously determine an outcome in terms of whether they go into jail or not, but for healing, for closure, for forgiveness, and all those important things that people innately need when they've been hurt. Um, or need answers to something that they don't understand. And so restorative justice can occur uh, from you know, pre-charge, this is the this is better, the Crown could say, I did a, a high value vandalism case in Fairview where the Crown actually said, if, you know, if the people that you've impacted here are willing to come to the table um, and you want to as well, and you follow through with the agreement you set on, that's, uh, that's fine and it should be done. And, and we did it, it was like $7,000, like it was a big dollar amount. Um, restorative justice can occur for violent crime as well. It's definitely a little contentious and it, 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 we're not looking to, to go there at any, like at this point, we're looking for, you know, kind of petty, low level, first, you know, like crime, um, nonviolent. But definitely restorative practices occur for much more serious charges. So on a first-time first time offense, depending on the seriousness, the seriousness of whatever crime is committed, with the program effectively working, that person could come out of the program um, successfully with an on-criminal record. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of it works, you know, you know, young kids doing dumb things, and then they get along down the road, it's like, hey, I was part of that process, I don't have that criminal record hanging over me. You know, I can get my passport, I can travel, you know, it's... Education. Yeah. 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 Kind of steers them into the, the right yeah. direction of the one. And, and the following piece, especially uh, in, a, in a community like ours, we have lots of support. So, in a lot of the sort of justice programs, there's a mentorship uh, component to it. And so we're starting to do that more and more, where we connect the person with other supports to help encourage and, and foster their resiliency so that they are not making those decisions in the future. Okay. So, yeah, you, indi you indicated that there was a kind of a script that you go through. Mm -hmm. How long, what's the time frame for the, that script process? You know what, it really depends um, on the number of people that are involved. I would say that the average comp like number of people would be six in a six to eight maybe. We've done actually, we did a school bullying case with, with over 20 people involved and we had four facilitators to do it. Very challenging, challenging. But, um, so it's really hard to say. I would say the average conference lasts about an hour. Yeah, and we do prep time with each, each group. One, to kind of make sure that people know what they're signing up for, what they're comfortable to use their fears. So that's probably that prep time is more so than the actual conference. So you do the conference and everything's going to be okay. So what's the circle round checkup that everything was 
-hmm. and they'll follow through or something. Good question. The restorative justice program, the core of the program usually, um, will uh, follow up um, on check, like, you know, check in at certain times um, with the person who's responsible for the agreement um, to make sure they're following that to help problem solve it. You know, I know I said I get the money by in a month, but I, I'm working on it, but I just need a little bit more time to go back to the person and say, are you okay with that adjustment? Um, we would keep in contact with the referring agent um, if there's any pickups along the way. So there is that, that checking in, and it's our the, the sort of justice program's responsibility to kind of close everything off and report back to the referring agent whenever that would be. So you're asking the council for three three grand. Yeah. Like, what's the total program? Like, typically when we're people ask for money, yeah. we want to see the business model, what they're doing. So sure. Like, is it three grand out of fifty thousand, three grand out of ten thousand? It's 000. out of um, our total um, project budget is thirty-eight thousand six hundred and fifty. And um, through in-kind and funding from Solicitor General and Pacific Rotary, so far we have twenty-six thousand eight sixty. So our amount that we're needing to, to finish off our project as we projected is eleven seven ninety. How do you find finishing off that new project? We are going to connect with um, ask for contribution from our other municipalities that are served by the PCM RCMP. Yeah. And of course, take I mean, there's other you know, provincial funding opportunities that come up, but they're not always. Sometimes they're on certain years or whatever, so we're actively looking for those things as well. And I'd be happy to provide a budget if, if when that comes time to decision making around that or answering the questions. Yeah. Yeah, you probably should uh, put the application into our uh, grants to groups program. Right. It's one out of money for this year. Yeah. Okay. And maybe if you get a quick start next yeah. year. Well, yeah, and what, uh, so what would be the process for that? Uh, contact the uh, Chief Administrative Officer, uh, Chris Parker, okay. to my left. Okay. And he'll step you through there. Okay, thank you. I just had a quick question. So <clears throat> maybe you address this, but I'm not sure I heard it. Can any crime in any situation covered by restorative justice or are there limitations in terms of the types of violations that this program would deal with? I know on our end there's, uh, our list has been extended to include like the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act but it's usually the more heinous crimes are are, are avoided, but uh, you have your mischief. Your, you have your say your assault at, like at a bar or whatever. Uh, you know things of that nature. Uh, offender bender. Uh, you know when you're backing up on the other the driveway, and you maybe sort of like you know things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it it depends too on I guess the mandate of priorities for the local program and what they want to refer for. Um, and for example, though, kind of the RJ world, like domestic violence cases, or I mean, unless there's a program that sets all the appropriate supports and trained experts in that field, um, at some point in that, in what that situation looks like, maybe it might be considered as a way to move 
feeling or um, forward and so on. Um, like, you know, there has been a sort of justice occur for, for, for murder situations and manslaughter cases. Uh, absolutely. Um, there's a sort of justice circle. I can't remember what year, but a bus driver in, in Edmonton who, who was killed when the rock was thrown over the overpass. His, um, after a number of years, um, they they wanted to come together and talk with the, the young person who was responsible for that. And so they, they did to help them come along. I actually saw them speak to it at a conference a few years ago. So it, what it looks like, it really, it can vary. Yeah. Just one more question for myself. So, does this work with youth justice, like as far as uh, the 10 and 11 year old, as well as the 24 year old and the adult? Well, I, I book with minor consent, like with consent from a parent. Um, absolutely. Um, does the parent have to attend? Um, you, well, we recommend that they do, but I know in Fairview, the parents. Um, do not have to attend if they don't want to, but I think, and, and I mean, that's just part of the policy we have to attach out to with our expectations for our program and for with the RCMP or whomever, um, if we would go forward with someone that young without at least an adult or another support there for them. Yeah. But, um, and there's consent forms and stuff all of, you know, all the proper documentation for their meeting for any program. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. We appreciate that. Thank you for considering and, and listening. And I welcome any questions. I think you have on your screen my, my it's my email, and that the number that's on the screen is our um, our organization phone number. So, yeah. thank you very much. So I'm just going to refer to it in passing and kind of hit the highlights. Uh, I can read it verbatim there. Um, some of the, uh, the the purpose of this report is to kind of give a 16-month update, uh, concluding in June. Uh, so we're a few months past that, obviously, in reporting, uh, and that was just sort of delays in finalizing the report. Uh, some of our major achievements in the uh, last year and a half. Um, I think one of the ways that we've managed to improve the committee is uh, with better communication to council. Um, arguably, we didn't quite make that happen as often as we would have liked, but uh, this is, I think, uh, the second time in, in, uh, in two years, and, and that's a fair, fair, fair improvement over the, over the past couple of years anyway. Uh, we also had a development of a three-year work plan. Um, which I believe has led to quite a bit more structure in the committee. Um, 
I know one of the things, uh, even just listening to the organizational part of the meeting earlier today, uh, having committees that actually function and having a purpose is, is quite important to the council. Uh, annually, we, um, we do review the FCSS grants to groups uh, recommendations, and I think the board has been you know, a very effective uh, avenue to, to take a critical look at those those grants and, and allocate them in the best way we see fit. So um, there are some hard choices there, and I think the uh, the sounding board of the, the public members and the, the school board reps uh, really do a good job with that. Um, throughout the uh, past year and a half, uh, we've gone over uh, kind of a host of, of bylaws and policy directives and um, I think uh, over time we've had uh, several quite a quite a good input into these policies and in ways that uh, have seen them kind of improve before they hit the door and uh, get out into the community. So I think that's one of the uh, one of the really important functions of the, the community services board. Uh, we also do uh, a number of review of rel relevant initiatives. Um, uh, the board had uh, kind of an active role in reviewing the results of the recreation needs assessment. And I think there's a lot of uh, sediment on the board that there's some, some really good work that can come forward from that assessment. Uh, the rec Regional Rec Facility Committee, I, uh, I do want to commend that committee for the work that it's done as well. I've sat on a number of meetings there and some of them have, have been excellent in the way they've looked at it. Uh, different options of, of the, the uh, facility going forward. Uh, and then uh, certainly some of these other uh, initiatives and, and committees, uh, the board has nominated members from the Community Services Board to participate in those as they come up. So We also had in uh, January 2016, uh, we initiated a trail subcommittee. Uh, I know the last time I was at, at council, we spoke about this as an idea. Uh, it has been initiated and uh, work is ongoing. Uh, I think there's going to be some uh, some really exciting information and uh, ideas coming out of that that uh, council and administration can can take forward. Uh, throughout uh, the period of this report. Um, we had three public members reach the end of their terms, including myself. So I'll actually be my last meeting is on Wednesday with the board. Uh, one public member resigned. We had actually another public member join. And since the time of this report, we've had two more appointed. So uh, not, in, not in too bad of shape as far as committees go. Um, we did have, uh, we did struggle a little bit uh, with having quorum at all times. Um, so we had four meetings uh, that did have to be canceled. Um, and I think with the two public members that we have now, we're, we're sitting still with, with a vacancy or two, but uh, it will be a functional board for sure. Some of the areas for improvement in, in just in the board functioning, and these are things that we discussed at the board level. Um, uh, attracting and retaining community services board members. Uh, so like 
like most other uh, volunteer community boards, uh, this has been difficult. Uh, we were thinking um, if there might be possibly some other ways to organize a board that are potentially less structured and more conducive to, to getting feedback. Uh, unfortunately, there's not really any specific ideas on how to, how to do that, but there's a thought there. And the intent is certainly there that um, uh, the clear communication to council, you know, two to three times a year, just a short report like this, uh, kind of give our updates. I think that was sort of viewed as something that would be beneficial to all parties. We talked a bit about having a more open policy development process. So uh, if there are new policies being developed, um, rather than start by presenting the board with a uh, completed draft, uh, you start kind of a bit further up in the process, right at the idea conception stage. Um, so it, it wouldn't quite work that way for draft policy or for policies already in place, but if a new policy was coming forward, we imagined it um, starting with sort of the idea conception stage of the board, uh, broad level stuff, and then moving into the draft stage. Um, and uh, from time to time, one of the critiques by some of the board and its members, and this has caused some people to leave, I know, is that uh, the board wants to be very active in providing advice and recommendations to council. Um, I think there's a broad understanding that the board is an advisory board and that's what we do, but uh, I think there's a real uh, desire there to be part of the, a meaningful part of the decision-making process. In terms of community services functioning, so this is more talking about how the town would organize things uh, going forward. And uh, some of these I'm happy to say, it, it looks like the community services department is is proceeding with some ideas. Uh, one of them is volunteer engagement. And we've had this discussion at a board level a number of times, is that um, the, the nature of volunteering seems to be changing um, quite a bit. And the ability to attract and retain volunteers in any community organization uh, seems a bit more difficult as um, people are not quite possibly so dedicated to a long-term volunteer commitment. And one of the ways we thought that the, uh, the town could possibly help with that is, is to support the many groups that are kind of the backbone of our of community. And I think there are some good ideas that um, Tanya and Lori are working on to, to try and build up that program, including um, one of them was to dedicate some of the funding to a part-time position to work with volunteers. And so some of that, some of that uh, idea is coming back as a, as a proposal already to the board. Um, some of the one, the other observation is that um, there's a lot of people with a lot of passion in, in the community, um, but there's not always the, the partnerships aren't always in place to make things happen. So how does the, sometimes um, the, the town could take more of a lead role in fostering involvement um, of new 
community organizations that we have. Again, this is hard and I'm not sure exactly what it looks like. It is more of a conceptual idea. Uh, another thing that uh, I'm happy to say that there's some work on is uh, a formal recognition policy or formal recognition program for volunteers. Uh, so we do have uh, we do have an annual volunteer week, I believe, and there's some um, some recognition there. Part of the thought was uh, similar to the 12 Foot Davis Small Business Award, something like that. There could be a, a formal volunteer recognition program. Uh, put in place by the town uh, that would really kind of recognize those outstanding organizations and individuals that contribute to town. It doesn't have to cost a lot, but we feel it would be meaningful. Uh, the second last item here, um, we've talked about this for several years, is having um, a cost structure on recreation and cultural facilities that maintains a minimum level of cost recovery. So there's always a trade-off here, of course, you folks are aware, between the taxpayer footing the bill and the users footing the bill. And um, part of the way to rationalize, potentially making the users more aware of the actual cost for running these facilities is to have a cost recovery target. And we, re we highly recommend that administration pursue something to this effect. So taking into consideration that we don't want to make these facilities inaccessible to folks because of cost, um, but the costs have not been adjusted appropriately over time so that people are paying a, paying a reasonable and meaningful cost for, for using some of the rec facilities. Uh, and then the, the final one here, uh, and we had a discussion about this last community services board meeting, is just the long-term life cycle and maintenance planning. Um, some of this work has been done uh, to good effect, and I think there's still quite a few facilities in town where uh, we probably don't have a great idea how long these facilities can be expected to last and when we should start planning for the replacement. So that is another recommendation that uh, there is a, there's a tension there too between putting in too much planning effort on something that's so far out that you may never use that uh, planning to any fruitfulness. But we feel like there's some, some benefit at least to having an idea when the facilities can be expected to reach the end of their lifespan and plan correctly. Prepare to plan ahead of time for, for that. Um, it, it could have possibly made a difference in where we're at with the arena discussions today if we had started 15 years back. But. We did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of my report. Uh, and if there's any questions or comments, I'm happy to take those back to the board. So cost recovery of recreational and cultural facilities. Um, so why could the community services board not actually come forward with a proposal? Because you kind of. So who who's going to do this one? Who who did you envision doing this actual work? Well, we we thought that it would be best if administration. Uh, 
um, put some of the numbers together and did some of the comparisons between different communities and then brought the proposals to the CSB and then we could hash over some recommendations for the town council. We thought that would be a good process to follow. Do you have that information, uh, Director Bell? And so what, what kind of percentage are you thinking of recovering from the users? <clears throat> right now, the arena, for example, is at 50% cost recovery with including our sponsorship program. Uh -huh. um, so the taxpayer is paying approximately 25% of that 50% as I borrowed from the director of engineering. <laughs> Um, so they're paying okay. a portion of it. I always want to go back there. So you said that the arena, for example, with the, the fee payer and the sponsorship is 50% of the cost. But then you said the town has got... 50% is, co is cost recovery through fees and sponsorships. Okay. So the taxpayer is paying approximately 50% of the, the cost. Okay. Now some of this is not, this is based on information pre-2017 budget, and some of this will change our cost recovery because we are looking at putting in expenses that were not previously in facilities, like water, that kind of thing. So we'd have to go back and take a look at the existing expenses all in and double check how our cost recovery rates would change eventually. But that's one facility, right? And obviously every facility is different. It, yes, like, after Madison like Hall is... Your pool, your pool cost recovery is 15%, uh, not 50? 30-ish, ish, depending on the year. Um, the after Hall is approximately 20 to 25%. Part of, part of the uh, idea behind having a, a cost recovery target is the ability to communicate that to the public as well. Because I think that's something that people can readily understand is, well, I show up to the pool and pay my fee, but I'm only paying 30% of the cost of the pool. Right. And uh, I, think, I think that's the helpfulness in having a target of what you're trying to gain through user fees is that it's actually something that, that people can buy into and understand. There is actually a different uh, philosophy is eliminate the fee and, and increase the user, the, the number of users by eliminating the fee and just putting the rest of the costs on it through the general tax base as per the museum. And that is an option that can be explored at certain facilities, others um, you would lose a substantial amount of revenue. The pool is an example of that, or even the arena. Yeah. You also have uh, your operational costs would escalate if you remove any fee at those places. So. Um, different question, totally. Okay. Um, what would you suggest that the town might do to? Um, I guess uh, promote the community services board and what it can do and just how effective it could be or is. Uh, well, I, th I think at the council level, um, when you have pro 
proposals coming forward to you that are of a community services nature. And I think this is done already, but I think you could refer them to the board um, ahead of time. Um, some of the initiatives, uh, and it goes back to previous councils, the board was not really involved with until uh, after they had already been sort of updated on police. So, so that's one way uh, I think Councilor Mansi could certainly refer those uh, matters to the board first, to the sounding board. Um, in terms of promotion of the committee itself, try to advertise for members through the, uh, the bulletin that goes out in the mail. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how effective that is. I think probably word of mouth is a better way. But. Thanks, Derek, for the picture. Uh, you mentioned the trail discussion in here. Uh, can you elaborate? what? It, you, you had a thought there, and then it seemed as though you ended the thought, and, and some of us were left wondering, so what, what the hell are you planning? So, <laughs> unless I missed yeah. what your point yeah. is. And then uh, my second question, you can think about this, you passed along an accolade to the arena committee. My second question would be, what happened at that committee that you did that? So my first question is the trails. So can you tell me about the trails? Okay. Yeah, so the, uh, the Trails Committee uh, currently is working at inventorying a lot of the um, informal trails in town. So the stuff on Misery Mountain or in other areas of town that are not um, part of the maintained paved pathway system. And some of the thought is um, the 2011 Parks and Trails Plan uh, was a good step forward, but it wasn't complete. And, both the information it had and some of the ideas going forward. Uh, and we also think that um, trails are an area where that is um, appropriate, that there might be user groups that come along and want to be involved in some of the maintenance or, well, probably not maintenance, but involved in some of the construction or improvement of those facilities for their user groups, right? So the, the committee right now is working on information gathering, uh, inventorying some trails, and uh, coming up with some recommendations for that'll go through the community services board and then on to administration and council. Okay. And your second question I didn't quite catch. So, well, let me rephrase. So you you see you were uh, uh, congratulating the arena committee for their good work on the arena. So, was what what happened there that you're uh, providing such a, a recommendation or a, a thumbs up? What's were you part of the committee or were you happy with what the committee did or yeah, you like a twenty three million dollar rank or you don't? <laughs> well, I I did sit on the committee. I was there about probably half the meetings, and I think just in the, the number of people I've you know talk to in the community, a lot of them are, uh, I don't know, I'd say a lot are kind of mixed feelings. A lot of them probably don't think that they got everything they wanted. Um, but I think the balancing of the interests and the balancing of what you can do with your budget and also incorporating the surrounding municipalities in a cooperative way was something we haven't seen in a number of years. So 
so that was that was uh, something I think is worthy of accolade. So, so I'm sorry, I should. You were part of the committee, did I hear you say? I was a non-voting member. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so when you talk about some of the balance and the cooperation, could you be more specific? <coughs> what would what would any particular feature or amenity or proposal that came to mind? What uh, can you <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I don't know how much. Well, my question is: Are you going to do you support the proposal as it as it's presented now? Uh, well, I haven't seen it as of this past week, so I can't comment entirely. I don't think it's changed in the last week. Or what. Yeah. So the the idea of having a multiplex with a single ice surface, a field house, an area for fitness, and a I hope it still has a more or less commercial kitchen. <coughs> that concept, I think, was something that was widely agreed to between all the municipalities and the support of. Okay, good. Thanks. Yeah. Do I, I? I would say I personally support it. Yeah. Could you comment in terms like this from my background, like the number of the representation on the community service board? I get the impression tonight maybe it's wrong that people get appointed once a year and then you try to muddle through the whole year or, or can people get appointed any any time it's just many times people won't step forward or will not step forward uh, I, I think they can get appointed at any time uh, is that right? Right. Yes. Okay. and it's I think it's for a two-year term not four yeah maximum four-year term that could be part of it. People not willing to step in and make that kind of time commitment. Mm -hmm. You get paid for being on that bus? No, it's no a volunteer. Yeah. So who's the, who's going to be next year? So we have our organizational meeting in November. Uh, so I will chair the meeting on Wednesday, and then the board will choose. Choose a new chair uh, in November. So you put forward some ideas here from um, uh, um, uh, on cost recovery on recreational and cultural facilities, long term life cycle and maintenance planning. So, are there going to be some deliverables that uh, the community service board is going to come up with in the next 12 months? Uh, Mr. Mayor, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think part of what the board struggles with is how much of the deliverables are expected of administration and how much are expected at the board advisory level. So I know we've put forward some work uh, in terms of analysis on, uh, on facility <coughs> costs and that sort of thing, but. But by and large, a lot of the like, a lot of the groundwork um, is, you know, a bit too extensive for volunteers to really kick off. So, uh, I, I guess my answer is I, I can't really commit a future board chair to delivering uh, upon these priorities. Very diplomatically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but your complaint uh, last time was <coughs> there's lack of substance to the board feels that it doesn't have any direction or 
goals. So, so if you don't have any, well, I guess I'm asking you, well, what do you want to achieve and have out there? I know you're not going to be the chair and you're leaving, but uh, sounds like a chicken and egg situation is, on one hand, you're saying, well, you're not giving us enough meat to do <coughs> on the other hand, you, you don't want to commit yourselves to, uh, to any deliverables in 12 months or 36 months' time, so... Yeah, and, and I hear you, because um, so some of these things we've talked about for a number of years, like uh, cost recovery targets, so well, why, why haven't we just developed the recommendation? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think, um, so it's the intent of the, the members on the board at the time, how willing they are to push things forward, uh, how, uh, I guess, the ability of administration to, to come up with the needed information, uh, amidst other priorities. Um, so yeah, going forward, I couldn't, I, you know, I, unfortunately I'm in, not in a great position to really speak on what the next 12 months will bring in terms of deliverables. So, so how much input do you have on the budget? Uh, I would say honestly it was not very much input on the actual budget. So, Right. So if you don't have goals, then you can't create a budget. There's no point in creating a budget if you don't have goals, right? So, well, so we, what's the strategic? What we did have some input on was the departmental business plan, and out of there, it was kind of described it out of there. The budget falls, um, but the uh, the budgeting process uh, it was hard to understand. I guess what level of input the board was expected to provide to the budget. So this year was better than previous years, but um, there was still not not really an avenue for too much input. I can see part of the issue is kind of the relationship of the board versus administration versus council. Like, and I can see as a board member, do you want to spend a bunch of time doing something only to have? and then shoot it down or have council say, yeah, we didn't even want that. So if there is, if the board want to engage in stuff, I can see the board say, okay, this is what we would like to work on. They would vet that back to council saying, okay, we would like to work on these things. And we council say, yes, we would entertain those recommendations and then let the board go ahead and, and do that. Making some sort of commitment to staff time and administration to do part of that. And I'm sure the CEO would have to have some input on it because quite easy some of these boards could it's like a lot of resources, but I don't know, Chris, you have any thoughts on that? <coughs> I think that's correct, Councilor. Uh, and you can quite easily lose your budget very quickly on some projects that um, um, which boards have lots of time for advisory committees uh, could um, think they're incredibly important, but unfortunately it's only one part of the picture and they don't get an opportunity to see uh, uh, the other components in a municipality and, and, and where your resources are uh, very stretched. So that is correct, thank you. Well, if I'm correct in saying, I think the, for this year's this year's budget, uh, Tanya had brought and Brian had brought forward some uh, some of the administration's priorities, which we talked about a little bit last meeting. But I think that's about as as far as we got this year. If I'm correct in saying that, 
Well, and what we actually did was bring forward the service level adjustments that were brought to the council budget workshop. The community services board reviewed initially um, and then took a second review at them. And we're bringing back that feedback from that council budget workshop to the board. The board doesn't get involved in the uh, detailed budgeting process in terms of the direct operational costs of the facility. It's the same concept of not um, getting into the weeds administratively. Uh, that's the role of your administration. So the board is asked for their feedback on the priorities and initiatives and the service level changes. So there was a full listing of strategic initiatives from the community services um, business plan and ask the board for um, their feedback and input on whether or not we're completely in left field or we're on the right track. So that's the process we've taken and we try to refine it every year to, to gain feedback from the board to find a more um, useful tool. And we haven't quite hit the mark yet, but we're on path. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a fairly accurate representation. And I don't think the board wants to be analyzing operational costs of clinic facilities. Um, I, in my mind, uh, it would be ideal if there was a little more input into um, new initiatives or you know which programs perhaps have too high of a service level delivery and which ones are, are not serviced effectively and that sort of thing. How about if I gave you uh, three things that I think uh, you guys could deliver on and you can give it over to the committee? So you mentioned them. How about, uh, well, number one, inventory of trails. You talked about you've already started on that. So if we could get a report on uh, trail inventory. We do, we do actually have that scheduled with a completion date. Okay. So I think that we actually gave ourselves ample time, so that would be about September 2017. So will you have an app to go with the trails? Uh, well, Adam's going to develop us one, I think. Good answer. Uh, what about uh, a, uh, someone here in whatever, 12 months, 9 months time with a recommendations on cost recovery on recreational and cultural facilities. And uh, I'm thinking the third one is uh, on our, uh, along the lines of long-term life cycle and maintenance planning, is uh, develop a list of assets that you feel the Community Services Board is responsible for and along with recommendations on decommissioning, renovating, or replacing entirely. So I think no problem on the first two. I think the third one relies a bit on uh, things like engineering reports, um, some analysis that may be done already, some may not be, so I think we might only get to a certain point there before there's some dollars that need to go with that task. So. Maybe with, uh, when it comes to decommissioning, renovating, or replacing entirely, maybe a financial plan to buy that. That way, that way uh, people don't go around 
replacing everything with a $22, $25 million building. Okay. Uh, I want to thank everyone for the time. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks, Eric. Um, we'd like to thank you also for your chair for chairing and uh, actually all these reports that are looking quite you're, interesting. Uh, you're, the, you're the first committee chairman. I've never seen a council in seven years, so it's good on you. Thank you. Hey, thanks. It takes us to bylaws. Uh, first bylaw up on the, in the on-deck circle is uh, bylaw 1970. This is the NPC bylaw for two green. Council. Um, so before council is um, the proposed bylaw, which has had first reading and second reading, I believe. So um, we've had some time to mull it over, um, consider questions. I'm here to answer any questions if you have any. Again, just to reiterate the um, change from the previous bylaw. Um, it really just uh, reinforces and and adds to the definition section. Um, and then the change in the membership or the eligibility, slight differences, but the, um, the eligibility in having potential out of town uh, members on the MPC has remained intact. And that was a discussion point earlier. Um, but again, with preference given to uh, local residents before uh, those who would be considered um, out of town or out of the jurisdiction. So again, I can answer any questions um, from council if there is any. I have a question. You were here for the earlier discussion. Um, how do people get off the committee? Like, there's nothing in here. At least I didn't see it. I don't recall. You know, if people want to resign, like it's kind of implied that you're if you're not committed for three years. You don't even bother applying. Is that make it difficult for people to decide they want to step forward and put their names in the hat for this? I can't say that for certain. I wasn't involved in the um, latest recruitment um, that we've had. So um, we've recently done a push to try to get more members and get up to our full allotment of the 11 members, which we are just able to do. Um, so I'm not certain when um, uh, Susan or, or Alicia um, approach the people whether um, the three-year requirement was, was an issue or an obstacle or not. I guess the other issue I have, it gets back, you know, I understand they need, you know, maybe, maybe at some point to appoint non-residents if no one comes down. But could we have a different appointment period for those individuals, say that you know, non-residents would be appointed for one year and then every year then you go through in the renewal process to see if there's residents in town because once you're committed you know i i don't see us revoking anyone's appointment doesn't step forward to volunteer but if you had it so you point someone for a year they knew that in a year the town would be looking again for residents with the focus on residents if that's really our intention so you're suggesting some type of staggered um, appointment schedule or well, 
most committees I've been involved with, there was a deliberate focus to do that so you don't have your whole whole membership changing at one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that's been an issue or anything, but the way it is structured now, you know, every all the public members stepped out, a whole you could have a whole whole suite of eight new members. Honestly, that does make a certain amount of sense, yes. But the public members could step out at any time, anyhow. Well, it's the same as any group, right? We've, we've had members that obviously move because of their work or whatever, right? And you have openings. And you don't wait till the year is up to recruit. As soon as you have an opening, you start recruiting. So you could have members that join at any time throughout the process. And where's that outline in the bylaw? I don't know if it is. But I mean, it's the same thing. If you've got a gap, same as Community Services Board or any other public board, if there's an opening, an ad goes into the paper saying that we're recruiting to these boards, they cannot be server. Does it have to be in there? I think number 12, does it not indicate that? And it says at any time they can be appointed. So we might have special circumstances where there's a whole bunch all at once, but. But the way this is reading, so we would we should be looking back at when each of those existing members were appointed, right? And so some of those they will not be up for renewal at this point in time if they join someone's appointed a year ago. And I'm assuming, sorry, that we have those records. It's easy enough to find. So we don't know at this point of the existing members that we're... Well, I, we were just saying, we know that one for sure was just appointed less than a year ago. So theoretically, he's not coming up for due. Now, I'm not sure that as a courtesy, they don't just ask people every year, you know, like a name stamp. You know, I mean, realistically, there's people that sit on that committee that have been there for 20 years. So, I mean, it's not like... At the end of your three-year term, everybody's screaming to get off. You know, I've been on there for over 11 myself. So it's, you know. But I guess I, you know, it gets back to succession planning. Like to me, the way it's structured, the way the committee structure, the way the bylaws structure, it should automatically make sure that you're getting a transition as opposed to what seems to be. And I guess maybe if these appointments were three years, you would never have that. So. You, you know, assuming you always get some transition, someone steps aside, you know, they get appointed one or two years in, into the, the council's mandate, then automatically you're going to see real. You're also saying every, uh, out of every non-resident should, uh, should, should undergo a renewal every year. I, I would like to see that. I mean, I think that seems to be a concern. I mean, they, they may not, not like it, but I think this is a municipal planning commission. I think it should be represented residents of the town in the future, but I think that's where there should be a bias towards towards town residents if, if, if they're willing to step forward. Well, I think to a certain degree there is, where they're maxing out at two, so they can never form um, the majority vote on a quorum. Quorum is five. <clears throat> so you're always going to have three residents to two non-residents max. I mean, I think we look, <clears throat> pardon me, we look back at how it is to get volunteers. 
for a lot of these boards now MPC right now seems to have a full slate but I mean there's a lot of boards where there's a lot of vacancies and I just I'm not sure that we are very much in a position to be turning down volunteers if they want to participate Part of sometimes it's just a matter of asking people. Uh, Councilor, maybe just a comment on your on your remark there. When you're talking operational three to two, you're specifically speaking council members to resident. No, you can only have two non-residents. Quorum is five people. Yeah, I got the quorum here. So, a quorum of five people and. Council cannot be a majority of quorum unless that's changed. That's not correct. So you would always have three residents to form quorum to your two non-residents, assuming you had two non-residents on board. Right now, there's only one that I'm aware of. Now, I'm just not seeing where it says three, three residents and two non-residents. It, do, it doesn't. Quorum is five, yep. and the max you can have on the board is two non-residents. So if you have a quorum of five, then three would have to be residents. Or for example, Councillor Ford, it could be two councillors and one resident, and then the two non-residents. Right. So there would always be but, three. But you're still going to be residents, even if you're a councillor, you're still a resident of That's the county. Sure. Excuse me, Your Worship. Uh, is it Council's uh, thought that um, the residents of uh, East River should have priority? Is that what I'm hearing? What's well, not hearing? That's the way I'm understanding the reading of it. That the uh, out of your 11 members, three of them, three of them are council, and the rest of them can be or residents with the town. But if you don't have the, enough volunteers, you may go to a business owner that is, is a non-resident. Does it say that if you don't have enough, or just no, if somebody just volunteers? It, it, I'm just wondering, would council like a little more clarity on that? So it is like preference would be given to town residents. So the wording right now under number nine says public at large members of the commission shall not include non-residents of the town of Peace River unless um, there would be no more than two non-resident members. So does that wording suggest that the resident members would come first over non-resident members i'm just trying to i, don't, I would i would interpret it that way but that wording is a lot hard okay we could bring it back and just say you know preference will be given to residents that makes it very clear. If that's what council is directing. I think I think having having the clarity in there would be extremely important. That way there is no question moving forward. Whatever that may be. We can do so we can bring that back. And then when it comes back, I'd like to see the breakdown of who's currently on the, on the commission and when they're appointed so we see what that stagger is, that, that, you know, how they're being staggered. I think that's important. Well, and I do have an information, I just don't have it with me. Okay. And then what we could do, since we, we actually uh, postponed the uh, 
appointments to this committee, we can actually just postpone this to the next council meeting too. And we can bring back some of these clarifications if it becomes a slide in that. So you want a motion to table it then until the next meeting? Just refer it to it be a, a motion to refer it to the uh, next council meeting. Okay. I'll make that motion to defer this to the next council meeting. I have another question for you, um, given your experience in other communities. So, you know, on other municipal planning commissions, is it, I guess this is for both of you, is it, is it common to have uh, real estate agents on these, on these municipal planning commissions? Um, actually, I have not uh, come across real estate agents on it, but not that they were precluded from it, but um, this is the first time I've seen where you've had non-residents on a, uh, a town committee. Uh, so, so in Beaver Lodge? Uh, yeah, even in Beaver Lodge. Uh, how big is Beaver Lodge? Actually, it was 2,500 people. And the Kings County was um, 48,000 people. We did not have, uh, yeah, anybody who was non-resident uh, non on that. Well, we had that. Yeah. But, but that's unusual. But, uh, you know, that's, I can see advantages, disadvantages, no fun. Do we have non residents on any of the other boards? Community Services Board? Yes. Yeah. Going back to Mayor Carpey's um, question, um, I think there's always a question or concern if developers make it onto an NPC type board. Yeah. Um, because you know they they have a vested interest, and again, it comes down to that um, financial interest right. um, potentially. I think that's less so with with uh, real estate um, type brokers. So I don't think there's a real um, potential conflict there. Um, but again, you know that would have to be determined on a case by case basis. And if someone felt that there could be a conflict, they'd have to declare that and recuse themselves from any discussions. Well, perhaps uh, if you're going to look at this, me working this number nine, give preference to residents. Can you look at other uh, other municipal planning commissions and see if there's a, uh, a restriction on developers, real estate agents, or other people that, uh, that other occupations that could have a Absolutely. So, just out of curiosity, if we're going to look at preference for residents on this committee, are we looking at preference for residents on all of our committees? Could very well be. We'll deal with that when we get to that. And when would that be? When they come up for revision. So seeing that I'm not sure what everybody's all torqued up about this freaking committee was about, but anyway, let me carry on. So MPC, I, I got a flavor of their meetings are 15 minutes in length, they're, they're 10 minutes in length, they're sometimes they're in an hour. What the hell do we need the committee for? Let's add this decision to a committee of the whole whenever we have a council meeting and bring it here. If it's, if it's 15 minutes, what do we need a letter member committee for? You're going to tell me the MGA requires it? It, it does require a committee. Uh, how you make it up, though, is uh, um, I'd have to review that. But I think it, I think it could be anywhere that you wish it to be. 
the NPC is a again is an advisory board to council. So they review stuff, they make a decision, and make a recommendation to council. Council can still override. So if you're going to have your council That's being fine. your NPC, when say that say that again. We don't see a lot of your. We, we don't see any recommendations here. Certain things through administration. We make recommendations to administration. Is that not correct? No, the municipal planning uh, group actually uh, helps in the development of your your bylaws, yeah. uh, your, your land use planning. Yes. Uh, yeah, it doesn't come back to council. It does when you're recommending revisions to oh, the bylaws. Oh, that's right. All that stuff doesn't come back. But there's, there's, yeah. Somebody's got a surprise on a green space or a fence or wants to go on a grant. We don't. We see that. We don't see that, right? Not as long as it's within the, the control of the NPC. Correct. And so I guess partly so that we don't have to see all of that. And sometimes it's my impression that um, whatever the decision is that needs to be made, it needs to be made in a quick fashion to basically help um, who's ever doing some development or some change to their property. Or to facilitate, there's a legal requirement on that as well that we have to meet. I'm pretty sure the MD Virtual is a council is a municipal planning commission. I've dealt with them for so they just that stuff comes every two weeks when they have the council. So I don't agree with Councilor Nathan's suggestion, but I think we could do that if we wanted to. I mean like seriously, somebody should go back and add how much time But the planning commission meets when required, right? We're we're scheduled a couple times a month we've got set meeting. A lot of times there's no issues that come up. If there's no, if there's nothing that needs a decision, we don't meet. But the immediate reason our meetings can take as little as 15 minutes, if there's only one thing on there, what they used to do is keep issues until you had enough for an hour or two. But that means that some guy who's waiting to do a development could be sitting there waiting while the town decides not to meet. So we have decided that we would meet whenever there's an issue that needs a, a decision. So whether that's one or five at a meeting, we address them at the meeting. I mean, the idea is to try and address issues that come before the before the town in a development nature in a timely manner. So we may have one meeting, one one call, or we may have none. If there's none, we don't meet. So that yeah I guess I understand that but we do have a CAO we do have a development officer so these are items outside of clearly written policy yes. well it's not clearly written policy they can make decisions on certain things it's outside of their jurisdiction their ability to make it's outside of their scope I guess that has to come in you see and I, I guess it should be local people making local decisions, so change it so that it reads residents for the town of Peace River. I think we want to be careful with that because a lot of our committees have a lot of impact on our community where we allow non-residents to participate. Uh, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Your community services board has non-residents, so does your museum board. 
I suspect probably the library board does as well. I mean, where, where are you going to draw the line then? Unless you're within the immediate boundaries of the town of Conserva, you can't sit on any of these boards. These people often have a, a great deal of input and knowledge and, and uh, are, you know, a vested interest in the town of Peace River, exactly. I mean, these are our municipal neighbors. Just because they live up the hill or in Dixonville doesn't mean that they don't have an interest in what happens in the town of Peace River. And the way this is written, it says, you know, that they have a, a substantial connection, not just, you know, I, I want to put my two bits in. So, I mean, a, a, a person that operates a business in, in the town of Peace River for the last 20 years, to me, has a vested interest in the betterment of the town of Peace River. And to say that he can't sit on a committee just because he doesn't live within the boundaries of the town of Peace River, I think is a bit uh, ridiculous. Well, the way it reads is somebody from Stony Plain could, could be part of the NPC. They want to come <laughs> the town would still have to appoint them, so they would probably be looking at the reasons why somebody might be on that committee. That's another slam they own, I guess. Residents, if there's any gaps filling with non residents, yeah. that's uh, when I was at asking it, that's what council was for preference was, and we can make it more clear in the bylaw. That's what council was looking at. Do we have a straw vote on that, Your Worship? Uh, you, you have a motion on the table to just to table it, to but I guess refer it to the next council meeting. I'm still curious to see what the comparables are going to be. That we we need to bring that back and, and actually at the uh, next governance and priorities meeting, we can also bring some of this information too. That's so, discussion there. What? So, every success rate with the actual uh, bylaw coming back to the next uh, council meeting. So, if that would give us two meetings of actually uh, more discussion, we can find out some more information. We can give you the, uh, the section of the act uh, under the MGA. So you can understand on uh, 624 about uh, uh, the development uh, of where you to exercise its powers and, and uh, give you more information on that. On that. There's no planning commission and the rules. Thanks. So there's a motion on but, the table. Oh, go ahead. Well, we, we shouldn't debate this any further, but to Mr. Sonchek, those people that have been in this town for 25 years, we had a Chamber of Commerce event here the other night. And, and we all know who showed up that would be a big fat zero so we've got people that have owned businesses in this town they want to sit on the committee um christ they can't even come home to a bloody meeting and talks about retail gap analysis i'm not sure how the hell they're going to participate in a committee but um, bring back a recommendation i guess we'll look at the test and so your motion is to defer this to the next council meeting next I'll just say that I'm sure Director McQuaid will look forward to getting this information for you. <laughs> As he took over the planning department earlier today. <laughs> Too bad 
too bad he doesn't bring up the garbage by a lot tonight. He's really wanted. Let's start. Okay, the next item is bylaw 1988, loan guarantee, piece of response by the second your Worship and Council, uh, the report before you this evening is a uh, in regards to second and third reading of Bylaw 1988, which is a loan guarantee in the amount of $30,000 for the Peace Country Sports Club. Um, for your information, as per the MGA requirements, the bylaw was advertised in the local record gazette for a two-week period, two editions, September 21st and the 28th of 26th. 2016. In addition, uh, the information was provided through social media on the town's website. Um, after the required advertising, there was a 15-day petition period which has passed and administration has received no petitions in regards to this particular bylaw. Um, so administration provides council with a recommendation to proceed with the second and third reading of the bylaw, 1988, <laughs> as noted the loan guarantee of $30,000 for the First Country Sports Club. So uh, this, I'm kind of curious on this advertisement, so that was done in a record gazette. Would it have been done on our website? Yes. So it is on there. That's correct. And I forget, like, depending on the nature of the petition, the number of names, this is a fairly low bar to get across, right? Like yes. Yes. 5% or 10% yeah. um, I don't believe it requires a formal written petition. It's written to the CAO of any individuals against the particular petition. Uh, Director of Corporate Services, do you know the percentage? Required for a bylaw petition? It is lower, yes. So the advertising part of it, uh, when it, when you say it was advertised social media, what social media was it advertised on of the town? Twitter and Facebook. Never got a Facebook reply? So it would have been on the website too, though, right? Yes, yes, it was. Well, I think it's pretty straightforward. This uh, adds on to our debt loan bill. It doesn't add to it because it's currently already there. Um, it just extends it? it? It maintains it, of this $30,000. The original amount was 56000 and additional change. Um, but so we're down approximately twenty thousand, twenty six thousand. In twenty years' time, we'll be down to ten thousand. Um, as per the bylaw, I believe it's four years. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, four years. Okay, this is pretty straightforward. So, someone want to make a motion? Um, I move that um, the Town of Peace River approves second reading of Bylaw 1988, which is a loan guarantee in the amount of $30,000 to the Peace Country Sports Club. Okay. 
Did I mention four years? That's in there. All in favor? And they can just go straight to the individual right. You don't need to have a motion to go to that. Okay. Next motion on this, Mr. Needle. I would put a motion on the floor to provide third reading to bylaw 1988. All in favor? Thank you. Um, I see there's no unfinished business. And under new business, why don't we uh, deal with the financial variance report first? And that would actually help perhaps make the decision, help make an informed decision on the 2015 surplus to reserve. And I guess I just have to ask the question, what on the financial variance report, what is the actual request for decision? Or is that just a typo? It's uh, it's informational, right? So these are two separate issues, but um, I understand where you're coming from. So we'll go through the variance report. Uh, council could discuss and receive that, and then we could talk about the other request uh, on the transfer of the prior year surplus. Um, so this is the second time council has seen this format again. It's um, both summarized in terms of we're consolidating certain types of accounts. Uh, account categories, those descriptors are on the first page of the report, um, and then they're broken down sub-departmentally, so it gives you a bit of a sense of, of uh, cost for certain categories, such as legislative services, um, airport, and, and whatnot. Um, so I'm not going to go through that information a whole bunch, but I will talk about the year and projection at this point, but right now, I want to caution Council and, and those who are here in attendance. Um, at this point, we're showing a projected deficit of approximately $16,400. Um, there's a couple things that are driving this. Uh, and what's happened right now is if we separate the, the fund balances of the general fund against the sewer and water fund, um, there's a couple amounts that are at play here. So looking at the general fund, um, we're tracking a surplus of approximately $290,000 in the, the general um, operations of the town. I'll talk about what are, the, what are driving those shortly. Um, but on the water wastewater fund, we're projecting a potential deficit at this point of $406,600. Um, this is before um, I was able to um, identify clear efforts that will reduce that but i just want council to be aware that staff are making efforts to reduce that overall deficit position at this point and it's my opinion that we are leading into um, at the end of 2016 I, I am fairly confident that we will have an overall surplus for for that year so this is a snapshot of a point in time at this point in time, with the known amounts we can report, we are projecting um, 
the deficit, but I do expect that that's going to improve um, to year end. So in terms of uh, the report itself, there's um, a, a bevy of new revenues and expenditure items I'm going to discuss. I'm not going to discuss the ones that have been previously reported, um, but in terms of new items we can, we are able to identify. Um, revenue items are projected to be an unfavorable variance of 180000 Again, those are mostly relating to water and sewer uh, revenue shortfalls or shortcomings. Um, but in terms of general fund type items, uh, taxation is projected to be a favorable variance excuse me, of over $119,000 to year end. Um, mostly due to a reduction in the volume and amount of appeals. So what happens when we prepare the budget? Uh, we prepare based on known assessment values, known tax rates, but then we include an amount that will reduce those for potential appeals. Since those are unknown, um, we have to be fairly conservative. Um, and then this year there were very minor or a small volume of actual appeals. Um, as Councillor Burr had mentioned earlier, the um, Assessment Appeal Board has not meet or met to uh, hear a formal appeal in the last couple of years. Most of those are handled at the staff or um, the assessor level. Um, in terms of this year, just as an example, there was over 48 or over 50 um, um, appeals or adjustments last year made by the assessor. This year there's been about six or seven. So that volume, which really means that the work that he's, he's done up to this point um, has improved. From previous years, there's less for, for residents to go and make appeals or adjustments or or these types of things, so um, just the sheer you know, volume of those have, have been reduced. Um, and the other thing I'll say is if you have any questions, just interrupt me during the report because uh, you won't remember till the end and I might forget. So, next item are fire protection revenues. Um, there's a line there that's projected to be an unfavorable variance of 40,000. Um, so, included in the budget for 2016 was. Um, revenues for training for third-party um, fire training um, wasn't able to be achieved and that's mostly due to the reduced um, staffing we've had for fire protection this year um, with the director generally being away we just weren't able to marshal our resources to do this training and in truth it probably wasn't achievable to that amount anyway so it seemed to be over budgeted um, but it's not going to be able to be achieved within them the general fund of this, this fiscal year. Um, public Works Operations is projected to be a favorable variance of 50400 a year end. And what happened there is um, to facilitate the early move out of the Public Works building, um, we were able to receive from Alberta Transportation um, funds for the extra costs of moving early. So there was the core cost that we would have received or seen anyway. Anything that we had to spend above and beyond to get us out there earlier, we were able to claim. Um, so we did achieve that, but there is a corresponding expenditure um, because those are those are costs that we had to spend. Um, at the airport, aircraft revenues are projected to be an unfavorable variance of 31,000 a year end. Um, those were um, projected for uh, an unknown budget um, with Shell leaving um, when the, the budget was prepared for the airport. Um, it was really an unknown with the budget there, difficult, um, but we're still not going to be able to achieve what, what was budgeted there. Um, next couple items are water and sewer billings. 
Um, and, and they're substantial. It's a little shocking to tell you the truth. Um, but water billings, and, and they're, they are tied together. The amounts are a little different, but they are almost a one-to-one -one relationship. Um, water billings are projected to be an unfavorable variance of 181,100 uh, due to the following two items. Um, the first one was reported on the last variance report, and that was a, an unfavorable amount of 36,100. Um, and that was due to the, um, the rate that council had approved the increase. Um, was budgeted for happened the full year, didn't actually take effect till May, so we weren't able to. Um, uh, there's a timing issue there. Uh, second item is um, water consumption. Water consumption based on previous years has dropped um, by, by a shocking amount. Um, almost 10% for residential properties and almost 16% for commercial type properties. Um, and then looking back at even years before that, it, it's still a fairly significant drop from those. Based on what I've been told, um, the residential one seems to be um, a lack of a need to water lawns and whatnot this year, so you know, that'd be a little more indicative. Um, can't say with any certainty what caused the commercial reduction. We're going to do some work and, and try to pinpoint where some, some common areas may be and see you know, if it's actual a, a true reduction, you know, what, what could maybe drive those. So we're, we're going we're gonna to do some more investigation into that. Um, wastewater billing is again. Just a quick question. Yes. Sorry. So what about, what if you have a, a water leak somewhere that's not discovered right away? So you have your production, you know how much water you're producing, you know how much revenues you're collecting from usage. Is there a factor in there for that loss? We haven't done that work yet and it's a little problematic. We have uh, a significant amount of unmetered services within town. So we do have, um, leaving the water treatment plant, a meter. So we know how much water leaves that meter and we should be able to take all of our billings and then calculate the difference and reconcile it. Um, but since there's unmetered water services, especially to town properties, uh, town infrastructure, fields, that type of stuff, um, that would be a little bit of a that be, would that be factored into these numbers? No. No, these, these are strictly building numbers. I don't have production numbers that shows how much water we sent out of the water treatment plant. These are just the amounts that we build for under the individual meters. Um, so, but your costs to, your costs to produce that water... Haven't are, changed, really. Yeah, haven't changed, but we're not accounting for any losses. Like, for instance, water leak or, or unmetered. So we still have those costs to produce. We have our billing costs, so, so we're missing this other third. This is just they're comparing what what we people have billed versus what the budget was. It has nothing to do with actual production costs. Our production costs, and and so this is what I said when I when I think we're going to have a, a projected surplus to year end. Um, most of our water and sewer costs are are not going to hit. We think our expenditure budget. Generally, the the cost to produce water is fixed. Um, if you produce based on our current um, structure and staffing, if you, you know, treat a, a gallon of water versus a thousand gallons of water, pretty well cost the same. Your fixed costs are, most of the costs are going to be fixed. Your salary costs are fixed. Your building costs are generally fixed. Your power costs may change. Your chemical costs may change a little bit. Um, but there's, there aren't a whole bunch of variable costs in there. So 
you know, even if we sell 10% less, we're probably not saving 10% on the expenses. I think what you get, yeah. You might save two or three percent based on some of your variable costs, but it's not a straight one to one relationship either. Actually, I would double check that because the river was pretty dirty this year. So I've got a feeling those chemicals are pretty expensive. So I think that may account for some of the difference there. I would you have your engineering and public works department double check that. Uh, but go ahead. Um, so on to the next item, which is wastewater buildings. They're projected to be unfavorable um, to over $206,500. Um, and that's the same issues. First of all, there's that, that time or lag between when the bylaw for the rate change was approved and what we had budgeted for. Um, and then again, water consumption of which sewer charges are derived um, are experiencing the same um, consumption issues and will not be achieving budget. On the third page, the balance of the items have already been reported. Um, so we talked about um, at the time uh, wastewater revenue unfavorable variance of $19,000. And again, that's uh, for commercial dumping and, and whatnot at the, the sewer treatment plant. <coughs> Interest on taxes projected to be favorable. So I'm not going to go through those, but I'll take any questions if the council wants to um, have any questions about those. You just had one question about your methods for determining the decrease in the revenues. With the commercial side, were you planning, uh, my first thought would be to contact the hotels and find out what their vacancy rate difference differentials would be. Because I'm guessing there's a big reduction in vacancy or big increase in vacancy rates at the hotels, which probably has a, has a huge impact. I, I've asked and our utility, just sort of interrupt, I've asked our utility clerk to pull the information this year to last year mm -hmm. on all the commercial properties. And what we'll do is we'll identify those who have changes of 15 to 20%. And then once we know that, we'll be able to approach them and say, hey, what's, what's the difference here? And again, I'm guessing it has a lot to do with the economy right now. A lot of businesses that aren't operating or closing or running at, you know, 50% where they were running at 90%. And that's my belief, yes. So in terms of expenditures, um, there's a, a whole bunch of new items to, to discuss here. Um, so we're projecting expenditures to be favorable to your end of over approximately $63,600. Uh, first new item to report is fire protection wages and benefits uh, projected to be favorable, variance of $11,200. Um, and again, that's position vacancies within the fire protection service um, uh, department. Um, another item, a couple more items for fire protection. Um, materials and supplies are projected uh, to be a favorable variance of $12,000. So when we have identified um, the revenue shortcomings, so I, I discussed earlier, you know, fire department was going to experience about a $40,000 expenditure revenue shortfall. Um, so in discussions with the fire department, we say, okay, well, where, where can we save? Where are some things that are, are not essential? Um, what are some things where you're trending to be underspent and report those? Um, so one of those items that um, we're fairly certain we'll be able to achieve um, or be under budget on are, are materials and supplies. And those are you know, almost everything for the fire, fire department. 
Um, again, they are important in the fire department. We want to suffer, but they are able to either reduce or defer some of these. So when you say defer, does that mean next year they might have to add on more than normal in order to make up for that, That's not the intention, no. No, it's not the intention to defer the cost from year to year. It's just, you know, let's, let's wait for these, you know, something that we might try to do like every year, maybe it's every 18 months or something like that, and just as a temporary thing to to accommodate this the shortcoming and in truth to make sure we hit a, a surplus position you know all departments will be approached and say you know we need um, to maintain the town's position to um, eliminate you know any kind of discretionary spending and make sure that we drag the organization into a surplus position um, so there's another one for fire protection contracted services. Um, these are generally, it says fire protection, these are generally our emergency preparedness expenses. There are some items in there that, expenditure items in there that won't need to be spent. Um, some of them are actually one-time costs that were put in, such as moving uh, phone lines up to the um, fire hall number four to use as an emergency or backup uh, emergency operations center, which uh, will not be done because we're looking at our, our actual plans for a backup um, UFC station or location, which um, we now have other options since the public works building is over there. Um, you know, a longer term asset, not a leased asset like Fire Hall 4 and whatnot. So some of those works just, um, they're not being done. Um, public works operations, materials and supplies, that's an unfavorable variance of 50400 which is the offset of the revenue we received from the province to move early and uh, um, the actual additional costs that we had to incur to do that. Airport wages and benefits um, projected to be a favorable variance of 20,000. Um, and that's staffing requirements at the airport have, have changed. They um, reduced it by a staff member. They're, they're changing the way that they do their operations and uh, looking for some efficiencies out there. You know, again, partially derived from the revenues um, reduction. You know, it's, it's not as busy out there, um, and a change in the way that they expect to uh, provide their their operations out there. Um, materials and supplies at the airport favorable. That was twelve thousand five hundred. Um, they they had an amount in there for line painting and crack filling. Um, they used some of that money, but the total amount wasn't needed. So, again. Um, not deferring that, we'll do that next year and we'll budget for that next year, but we did need to spend the money this year and do it um, faster than was needed. Um, community development program costs, that's where we coded this item, favorable amount of 6700 and that's uh, an ounce over budgeted for medical support programs, um, which would be STARS in this case. Um, and we're, we're, we, we over budgeted, we're sending them proper amounts, so there's a favorable variance there. All the other amounts here um, have been previously reported to council, so you've seen these before. I'm not going to go through them. Um, but again, I just want to reiterate, um, even though it's showing right now at this point in time, um, based on the previous year's surplus, which we did experience, and the way that our, a lot of our um, expenditures are projecting, and other constraints that staff are going to um, um, have to uh, utilize to ensure that we do not extend the totality of our budget above revenues. 
you know, I'm fairly confident that the town will be in a surplus position a year end. Can I just have a question about its um, item previously reported, the second last one, materials and supplies for parks and facilities? Yes. Um, it says it's expected to have an unfavorable variance of $10,000 as the department will incur unbudgeted costs installing a retaining wall adjacent to the new skate park. But then in the um, parks uh, department, um, one on page 74, it says retaining issues required pound contribution of 26000 for the skate park. Is that just because one says materials and supplies and the other mentions engineering? No. So what happened there is um, the recreation department, within the totality of their budget, um, they are going to experience those additional costs at the skate park to, to assist them do that work. Um, but they've cut or reduced spending in other areas. So. <laughs> when you look at the services will be provided, um, but they've made um, decisions and choices within their department to um, to be able to find those to find other savings in their department to uh, to not increase um, you know their overall expenditures or or uh, you know work in towards our, our deficit position even greater. So is it 26000 Is it 26000 then or 10000 for the skate park um, extra work? Director Bell could correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the total amount of effort that we put into uh, the skate park when you look at everything would be in the $26,000 range. Thank you. She's, she's Mr. Mr. Parker, just, uh, I'm just catching your eye here on the... Uh, when we were at the UME, we met with Adco Gas, uh, Adco Electric, and we talked about obtaining some sort of a municipal contract preferential rate for the ski hill, the pool, and the arena. Now I'm reading Mr. Town's report, and I see there's savings on here. This this is more coincidental than as a result of any negotiation. So is that that is correct? Yeah. Uh, so so like that we're still open to get. Uh, preferential treatment from uh, uh, very much. I would like to claim credit, but I can't this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to claim credit for meeting with the AEOMA, so why wouldn't you stand in line? <laughs> we should claim credit for this part. I, I like the variance, and this gives a breakdown. It's way better information than we used to get, so I appreciate it. Thanks. Just so the council know, the one item I wasn't able to include in this was our capital uh, work state. Um, I have uh, Mr. <coughs> this week, and we'll just email it out to council. Again, it's an informational item, so you should expect to see uh, just a capital update um, being sent out to you. So, uh, just, just so that I understand this correctly, so uh, maybe in the future you can put projected uh, year-end variance as a separate line item, but projected year-end variances to be balanced by zero uh, unfavorable and zero favorable. Is that right? Did I hear you right? At the end of the year, you expect to actually have a favorable variance. Is that what you said? I, I do, based on, on the trends. Um, the one item you haven't seen in here is um, water and wastewater um, expenditures. Uh -huh. And a lot of them are trending under budget. Okay. Um, 
you know, works that just haven't um, needed to be done um, on some material supply stuff. Um, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the water because we're, we're underspent on chemicals this year at the water treatment plant by uh, 30 or 40 percent. Now again, some of that could be timing. We order, you know, chemicals in 30 and 40 thousand dollar chunks, so some of those might be coming through. And then we just weren't able to comment on uh, some of those individual amounts to say that we know that they're going to be favorable. But I'll be able to, I'm fairly certain that there will be a whole bunch of favorable expenditure items on the water and wastewater side that'll, that'll correct or ameliorate um, what we expect the current position to be. So um, I do have to say that I'm, I'm uncomfortable with, with you breaking this down into water and wastewater because we only have one meter and that's on the influence side. And so that's water. So you, obviously internally, you guys are making some uh, projected breakdown, whether it's 60-40 or 80-20 or 50-50, right? Sorry, between the water and the sewer? Yeah. It, it's approximately 50-50. It's 48-52 uh, for some reason, I have, and that's just how it was budgeted. Well, one of the reasons why we went to just, like on the bill, it's $4 and 43 cents a cubic 43 meter. cents a cubic meter. And the idea there was... $15 for garbage. <laughs> was that's the only, uh, that's the only influence, that's the only measure we have. So somebody goes out there and does a, one of these, 52, 48, but... Um, I, I guess uh, it was... Okay, the only thing we measure is the water coming in, and so that is the number that you're going to be built on, and that'll be uh, used to finance water and wastewater. But you, but you guys have gone out there and broke it down 52-48%, but it's one of these, right? It is. So why wouldn't we just... And I'll, I'll suggest that the, the current percentage of the 52-48 is... Uh, it will, it will be improved on because really when you look at the costs the water treatment plant is significantly higher than our wastewater treatment plant the amount of um, staff effort we have to put for water treatment is significantly higher than, than wastewater treatment so that number will be changed in um, the upcoming uh, budget i mean the end result water and, and sewer as a consolidated amount you know it will be um, you know that that 3.5 million dollar number that's what it is right now from a revenue and expenditure standpoint it's just internally when we do our allocations between water and sewer there will be there will be changes there but i understand where you're coming from because a 50 50 split for water and sewer seems a little abnormal well actually where i'm coming from is so that we don't we're not we don't open ourselves to criticism from people that that in the summer go out there and douse their lawn with water and say that I, I don't use the wastewater system so therefore you shouldn't uh, should be charging me for wastewater so anyhow we, we only have one proxy for how much yeah. someone might put into the wastewater system and that's water consumption coming in so yeah. and you got to design the wastewater treatment facilities to handle how much people use Okay, uh, I guess if there's no further questions, a motion to accept this for information. I'll make that motion. Okay, all in favor? 
saying is the transfer of 2015 surplus to reserve. So backing up to this item on the agenda, um, this is a fairly short report, hopefully it's straightforward and clear. The, um, the existing reserve policy, and in fact this is true for the previous one, since we just um, updated the, the current one about two months ago, um, stated that um, any surplus or surplus from the previous year um, would be transferred into the mill rate stabilization reserve uh, to be used uh, to offset any, any spikes or, or abnormal uh, items relating to uh, mill rate and mill rate changes in, in future years. So in 2015, 2015 year end, um, the surplus for the general operations was just over $300,000 at $300,709.32 uh, was realized. Can't see that when you look at our financial statements. We do consolidated financial statements, so all of our funds, uh, operating fund, capital fund, reserve funds are shown as a consolidated balance. Um, but when we were able to pull out those other funds, um, we were able to look at general operations, and that was the surplus um, on general operations or uh, the comparable against the budget that's that's been approved by council. Um, so this will benefit us when we go into our upcoming budget deliberations um, because the mill rate uh, stabilization fund or reserve um, can be used as a tool to, to uh, reduce rate increases. We'll have that discussion um, if we need to at the time. Um, so both to pull in as um, um, if the council needs uh, a little bit of extra revenues to offset some expenses or again to get to that balanced um, budget position or on the other end when we actually go to set the tax rate next April um, again some monies not some monies will be available um, if our assessment projections are are different than what we expected so there's a little bit of monies available there to try to maintain either current rates or, or try to achieve the the tax rate that council wants. So. Again, we're asking for council's authority to to uh, transfer the amount of thirty thousand three hundred thousand seven hundred nine thirty two um, into the mill rate stabilization reserve. I just want to congratulate. Like, since I've been a council, I've been looking for this money, and previously we've never seen it. I've always anticipated that there would be some sort of sub surplus, and they've never introduced it. So I think I'm. Big thumbs up for being able to show us that there is actually a surplus at the end of the year. So, so with having that, I'll make a motion to approve the transfer of the unallocated 250 surplus to the Millerate Stabilization Fund. Um, the transfer would be $300,709.32. All in favor? Next item is a request for a decision on the East Regional Recreation Center project update. Council administration provides you a report this evening in regards to, to the Peace Regional Recreation Center project. Um, the report is intended to provide a project update 
and a step forward on the funding plan. Um, our schematic design was reviewed by the Regional Recreation Committee at a regular meeting held on October 19th. The committee approved the design and will be moving forward with uh, more detailed engineering. So that is a huge step forward on the project and we're very excited that we're progressing. <coughs> Um, we are planning a community showcase on November 10th. The date has been set and we will provide council with a formal invite to that uh, session. It will be held at the Baytex Energy Center in the lobby area upstairs. We found the location to be appropriate for the purposes of this particular project launch. Um, the showcase will be for community members and we're inviting all municipal, municipal partners to this showcase. In addition though, we are planning a um, full presentation to each of our municipal partners at one of their regular council meetings through the month of November. So they will see and receive the invite to the November 10th launch but we will be attending each one of the other three member council meetings to um, present the actual design to each of their full councils. Um, hopefully catching anyone who cannot attend on that night um, from their council members. Um, as noted in previous reports, uh, the committee has confirmed their $23 million budget and we have kept to it um, to date. We are looking at some deletable items into the schematic design uh, that will be dependent during the tendering process of whether or not we can take advantage of an opportunity in a specific location of the structure that we can add some additional space. If tenders come back too high, uh, that's something that we can look at to keep within the $23 million budget. Um, the committee spoke uh, at length around moving forward on a formal and aggressive plan of having discussions and doing the, the noted ask of our provincial and federal um, counterparts. To date, we have done uh, some advocacy at the AUMA. Uh, there is a plan to move forward on further advocacy at the AMDNC conference by our rural partners and any of our own town councillors who will be attending that in administration. Um, but we feel it's important to make the formal ask, to actually make the, the letter of request asking for the funds. We're doing a lot of work of sort of the background work. Um, so presented for council's um, um, recommendation this evening is a administration recommending that the Town of Peace River Council uh, present a formal request to the provincial and federal government um, as a partner in this project with an ask of a for, yeah, for a contribution of $4 million each to the Peace Regional Recreation Center project. Um, also of note, we will be asking all three other municipal partners for a similar um, motion of their council so we can put together a, a letter of ask that is formalized by all four municipalities and not just the Town of Peace River on behalf of the Peace Regional Recreation uh, Committee. Okay. I want to 
motion on the floor to uh, accept the administration's recommendation that town peace to reform the request partnership with the Imperial uh, Province of Alberta Government of Canada for a contribution of $4 million each to the Peace Regional Recreation Centre project. Anybody want to make comments on this? When would the tender go out, or how does all that? The tendering process won't be until approximately February. I feel like I'm being a dead horse, but I'd like you to go over the seating capacity because I think that's important. Because I visualize this arena meeting the needs of the town. We'll have to meet the needs mm -hmm. of the town of Peace River for the next 50 years, and yeah. I'm questioning whether the and I'm not sure the number I heard 800, 600 seats whether that would be sufficient. Sure, we're up to 900 seats is the current design. Any additional seating capacity will require the total budget to expand. So we've reached sort of our capacity within the $23 million Footprint. budget, and then any further seating would definitely require a substantial increase. And that's seating capacity, that's right. not capacity. That's correct. Do we have a number for capacity yet? No, we don't, not yet. Because there is area specifically designated for wheelchair um, seating, which would not be included in that 900 mark plus additional standing room and viewing area on both the second level and the lower level. But the actual seating capacity is 900 seats. Yeah. How many gold seats, how many red seats, and how many blue seats? Well, I've already designated a, a section <coughs> for visitors only. So. <laughs> Is, so our neighbors have all signed off on this. That's correct. Okay. And they have made commitments in their budgets for 2016 and are making their commitments for 2017. That was clear at the committee meeting that everyone is all in, as it were. And just along the theme of the all in, you, I heard February. I was kind of thinking January, but uh, February. So does that still mean? Great ground in the spring? That's correct. Okay, so that has not changed. No, that hasn't been. Yeah. We're still on track. All right. So when you make this request to the provincial and federal governments, perhaps you could promise them gold seats for the premier, prime minister, and their cabinets. One each? That means no local residents can watch anything from the politicians. <laughs> Uh, no, it'll be just the door. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, somebody put a motion on the table. All in favor of that particular motion? I think it's very slightly. All in favor, passed. Thank you. Uh, so, there's, um, there's a check registry report. Um, October the 11th. Any questions on that one? So, um, Mr. Parker, did we pay stars 13,000 some on? No, that was reduced to uh, um, seven. It was uh, our, our per capita. 
So the check registry here has the 13,000, so is that check voided or something? Yes, it was voided. That, that's correct, it was voided. Services Department. Um, any questions on that? Uh, Mr. Mayor, I have one. It um, has to do with planning and development. And second last item submitted completed external health and safety audit for the town of Slave Lake. So does Peace River get paid when they do that, or is it just kind of shared service kind of stuff? This is the second last bullet under planning and development, or just just above planning and development. Yeah, so for, for this yes. one, uh, Susan Martin, though, um, it's more like a peer review type type audit, so Susan Martin went to Slave Lake and, and did their, their audit. Um, I will confirm that for you, uh, Deputy Mayor. I, I don't believe that there's any compensation. No, there isn't. It's it's and and they come and we we had uh, we had a gentleman who came uh, to do an audit on us uh, from uh, yeah. So it's just part of being part of the organization. So I'm wondering if the building permit value is going to be put in a graphic or some description. Perhaps we can still use it on the website. And those are up substantially from the last, like, two months ago or three months ago, right? Like it was. Yeah. Quite a bit. Um, and one of the things that oops, we'll do is we'll start showing more um, improved year-to-year and year-to-date type information. So you'll be able to see the change, but they are up significantly more than what you'd seen a couple months ago. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And do you have any reasons for that? Uh, are, are they even significantly up over 2015 yet? No, not, not over 2015, I believe. Um, year-to-date they are. Um, Daycare, Rotary House. Oh, and there's a third one. If it comes to me, I'll type up. Okay. Hopefully, they won't be insulted when they listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they were important enough. Okay. The uh, school addition and renovation? Would that have been the other one? I don't think so. Okay. So then there's engineering and infrastructure? Well, some of us promised earlier not to talk about garbage. Uh, 
Should we talk about the October 24th date that's in there? Where the rollout of the bins? This is under engineering, right? Yeah, am I not in the right one? Yeah, you're in the right one. So I was doing my <coughs> consultation at the arena this week. <coughs> Went to three hockey games. Nobody wanted to talk to me about the new arena, but everybody was sure on the talking about these damn garbage bins. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. So, is it October 24th? Uh, yes, Councilor Dean, it is the 24th, and we started arrived today, just so you know. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we got So, can I use mine tomorrow? You can use them as soon as you have them. Excellent. Okay. Uh, I'll make sure the wife is on that. Okay, well that's a uh, question asked and, and answered. So now that I've got the uh, engineer Jim's attention, I'm looking over your shoulder to, to our communications guy. Hey, Adam, if, if we are we done with, you know, people keep asking me questions and either they don't read or they don't understand or I, I maybe I've just got a big target on my back but so we've got social media we've got the big poster in the window downstairs by somebody's office I walked by it we've got leaflets going out in the mail what at my doorstep what else on my doorstep so so that's all done eh? so when somebody tells me they don't know anything about a black garbage bin and they don't think this and they don't think that it's not for lack of all trying we've we, we 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 think we've done all we can do every piece of confirmed information has been relayed to the public at this point in time the public has come back with a number of follow-up questions um the answers to which we don't have confirmed answers because they need to be written out of the bylaw first before they use it don't bring up the bylaw <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. So, anyway, my point being, so the 24th is the new date, and you're pretty confident that that, that there's going to be enough information out there. All right. That'd be correct. And uh, we are still fielding questions uh, within the office, uh, in, and most of them are, are in terms of where does the bin go, and we've kind of. Uh, come up with a strategy to kind of answer that and say, you know, if you have a driveway from, uh, as part of your house and the majority of your street is that way, it's going to be front lane service. And we're kind of taking the tack that we're calling it the designated area or the designated place for the garbage bin. That, and that would include either the front of the lane or in those places where you have no driveway in front and all you have is the alleyway, then it will naturally go into the alleyway. And then uh, there are going to be places that are totally unique, and those will have to be handled on a case-by-case basis. I think you're going to just primarily the, the rollout date. Yeah. I thought we weren't going back down. <laughs> Well, there is a couple of places where you can't get to the front because the front is actually on a hill, um, so they, they, they actually can't even pick up. So there's only a, a couple of spots I think we're looking at for, uh, as we're calling designated lane and designated uh, lane or, or something to that effect. And um, at our last report, we did uh, comment that uh, there was a, a service group that was assisting, 
we uh, what misspoke on that one. Uh, it wasn't that uh, group when we followed up with the uh, uh, contractors. They um, that led us to believe uh, that this uh, group was going to be assisting in uh, the confirmation that that's not true. So. Um, Right now, I think they're hiring individuals. Is that what it's going to be? Uh, that was the case, and what had happened was GFL again. They were only left, could provide one person. So what they've done is they've given the town permission to go uh, secure some casual help, and we will invoice GFL back for that casual help in getting the bins delivered, which we started today. This, this was the hockey team idea. Correct. That's correct. So the last discussion I asked when they made the decision to not put in in the alleys in the areas of the town which have alleys where my concern there's no there's no more width in the street in front of the house than in the alley so it makes sense to keep the garbage on the back which is definitely my preference I think most people on our street like we were going to come back and we again. had discussions with GHL to that effect and, and in the realization there are going to be some accommodations are going to have to be made throughout the town depending upon how that neighborhood is structured. So if they figured out where they want to go, where, where like, that's the part, like, to me it yeah. sounds like this is supposed to be happening this week, and if someone asked me tomorrow, should they put their garbage in the front or the back, I, I would have no way of knowing. And that um, means if they and, put, and, they choose, that's, that's choose. Basically, the way I've kind of outlined it is, if you've got a driveway, this part of your house and the majority of your street has driveways, like up in Saddleback, then there should, and you don't have a laneway in back, then it's naturally in front. If you have no driveways in front or back, then it makes sense to put it in the alleyway in behind because uh, the front of the street is naturally where you would naturally park your vehicles. Uh, and then I said there are going to be uh, some unique ones like one or third street where all you have is the alleyway back there. So that's the only place you can park. And then on 100th, I got the same question as well. You've got all commercial parking in front, but you've got two, two three residences along there. And such. No, you're going to have to move it into the alleyway because naturally with the commercial parking in front, you're not going to be able to have your bins there at all. So. Uh, I talked to GFL a little bit about that, and you know, we're both in agreement that there's going to have to be some accommodations made, and it's probably going to take about a month to sort everything out uh, as we go through the town. Okay, just judging by the hassles when we went through this the first time, there was really, really poor communication with GFL and Trump Surgeon, and there were people that didn't get the garbage picked up for a month. Like that will not happen this time. Like, we, we're doing our utmost to keep in contact with GFL and to do what we can to accommodate the process and, and keep it going. Alright. Sorry to brought it up. The, the most important thing though is that residents are not getting their garbage picked up is for them to call. And what we'll have will be uh, making sure that, that it, they do get picked up. So that's that's the key. And it will be a little transition period, but we will we will ensure if we do have our agenda. And we do follow up, uh, we contact them immediately. Um, and in most cases, we give out his phone directly. But we, we want to make sure that this uh, is as smooth as possible as a transition as we can. Thank you, Council. So I found the, those those trucks didn't go down yet. I can... Some of them were a little bit larger than others. 
as in the So yeah, no, yeah, that yeah. Um, that was one of the questions that we were brought forward because uh, if you remember, they uh, originally they said oh they couldn't make it down certain alleys. Um, <coughs> we did have a meeting with uh, GFO and Con Control uh, about that, and because that was that was the question I actually brought up, and uh, they said well some of the the alleys they are going out right now. I think they're going to have just as much trouble in some of the cul-de-sacs as they are in the back alleys, to be totally honest, with vehicles parked on the streets. Okay, so this is the engineering report. Uh, are, you, uh, are, you, are you going to highlight some items? Or, uh... I can, Your Worship. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of follow up on uh, the fall cleanup last one. Uh, that was held in Centennial parking lot and that was run fairly successfully uh, we had no major citizen uh, concerns that were brought forward during that period other than the fact that uh, for the next fall we need to kind of reorganize the entry and the exit into uh, the cleanup area but that was the only point that was brought forward so was that is the intention then to run it from that site in the future, or would we be moving it up to the town yard? Or? Uh, the town yard is not structured or conducive to, to doing that at this point. Okay. I'm open to looking at other areas that as if they do that themselves, and we'll, we can look at that. But uh, until we find a better spot, you know, okay. we'll plan for Centennial and seem to work well. Thank you. Uh, second item I was going to bring forth is the Building Canada Water and Sewer Project and uh, so we received tenders in on that and that was one that uh, we bring <laughs> forth the request for decision uh, at the ne next uh, council meeting. And the third point uh, to highlight uh, was the active slide on 99th Street uh, as you may or may not be aware of it's a fairly active slide and uh, has deteriorated uh, quite a bit within the last two weeks due to groundwater and uh, this is one that, uh, Mr. Parker did you want to discuss further later or do you expand upon not right now? It's a significant slide we're probably going to be having to put in some uh, uh, quite a bit of resources into this slide uh, we uh, are having right now the geotech uh, firm coming out and provide us with some options. As soon as we find out exactly what those options are, we'll be uh, presenting a report to council. So it'll probably be an email just to give you a heads up. But uh, we uh, expect it to be uh, a considerable uh, uh, funds. And we're also looking at uh, seeing uh, if there is a um, process of the province uh, contributing. Uh, we are actively looking at uh, all avenues right at this particular moment. But there are there are some issues definitely. So what's the street number that slide? It's on the south end of town, right? Oh, that's what, 99th Street. 99th Street. That's just below the RCMP, and where that uh, condo uh, development is up on the hill. The piece we almost sold. <laughs> the, just to the north of that. Uh, so, uh, rest assured, uh, administration is looking at that at this moment. Uh, we had some preliminary discussions with the geotech firm today uh, so that we can move relatively quickly on that as well. 
Uh, last item is just like looking at the key performance indicators and uh, a couple changes no con dot uh, and thanks to Councillor Manzer for catching me on this. Uh, so Excel glitch that I kind of carried over on that one. So for sewer flushing, the uh, total to date should be 4,906 meters. And that would bring us uh, complete, uh, as compared to our target, 583%. Uh, so we've done quite well. We're well over our target of 12% on that one. Uh, can you say that again? So the, so the numbers there uh, for the monthly uh, numbers are correct. The total to date is 4,906 meters of sewer line flush. So if we take that 4,906 4, meters divided by that 70,024, uh, or divide that by our 840 meters of target, that gets us to 583% of our target that we've accomplished. So we've basically almost accomplished six times the amount of sewer reflection as we originally targeted. Uh, and you mean 50%? Because it's 18,400. 18, 18, yeah, 50% of our target. Okay. Sorry. So it's 4,906 meters compared to 840 meters. 8403. Oh, you're correct. Yes, that's removed. Yes. I had some issues with uh, my little Excel template. That was in there, so. Maybe it's 12% to 50% or something, you know. No, it would be 50% then. And the other one was uh, down at the bottom. Uh, for the sanitary sewer distribution system annual replacement was uh, 1,534 for the total today and resulting in 219% of target, which is the 700 meters. Sorry, can you repeat that? Because I'm not seeing that. Okay, so uh, at the very bottom one, yeah. that 834 meters yeah. should be 1,534 Oh, that meters. number needs to change? Yeah. Oh, okay. There it is. My apologies for that one. Was that on the water distribution or was that on the sanitary sewer? That was on the sanitary sewer. Okay, and the water distribution is still 834. That's correct. So you were 94 percent. Or I get that 834 is needs to be just as well. Just just over 100 percent. Yeah. Your dyslexia today is is falling into play. I think. <laughs> Trusting my software a little too much. Yeah, that's it. That's right. So I will be aware of that in the future. Okay, so uh, 
just goes back to Councillor Ford's comment. So we we were looking uh, to have a uh, water uh, produced water build water unaccounted for uh, graphic or KPI. Uh, so where where are we at on that, or is corporate services taking that on in, in exchange for the FPC or Something we're uh, endeavoring to work on. One of the problems that we're, we're running into right now, uh, the worship council, is that in order to determine how much water we're actually losing, we have to make sure we have meters at all locations. And uh, like uh, Director uh, uh, Town expressed earlier, there are some locations we don't have water meters on, especially with the town uh, facilities, such as watering and, uh, fields and, and some of the facilities that we're using. So uh, we do have a plan in place to try to get in uh, the larger using facilities to actually have uh, the water meters uh, put in. But uh, in order to do it, I, I believe, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Mr. McClay, I think that is going to take a couple of years because some of those meters um, are very expensive uh, because of the, uh, of the large users. So, uh, but we, we do have the plan to, to get that. So it might take a couple of years to get total tracking, but we are trying to account for, for everything that we can. Well, I recall when I first got to council, I asked some precious question. He identified the need that certain places throughout the county infrastructure to put meters so they know how much water is going through certain chunk mains. That was an issue way back when as well. And, and, and one of the things is also for proper costing uh, uh, expenditures, you know, with town facilities using, you know, water, they should also, there should be cost to that attributed to that. So, um, because that's true cost account, especially if you're trying to recoup costs, um, like for example at the arena, and you're producing water, uh, and you're getting grants from other organizations, and if you don't have the, the meter and the, the numbers of the water that uh, is there, there, there's an operational cost that the town is actually uh, bearing that our municipal partner should be sharing involved in also. So um, we are working on it, uh, and we will uh, get it done. But for the irrigation systems, I would argue that they should know how much they turn it on. They should know how much water flows through when they run it for an hour. So you can get at least get an estimate of the irrigation correct. stuff. The other stuff, yeah. the number of toilets being flushed in the arena, that's totally different. But. They're all metered. The irrigation systems are all metered. Metered currently. The pool and the arena. Sports fields? Yeah. yeah. All the irrigated sports fields are metered. So which one isn't metered then? That water park, I believe, is not. Okay. I've never received confirmation on that particular site. It's, it's, yeah. And I'm not 100% certain that all the actual um, the water park or public data sets park is metered yet. Okay. So there's a couple of outstanding locations. There's the Norm Boucher uh, yeah. park that's got that sprinkler system all tied into that underground meter, and there's, there's no meter on that. that uh, this Sports, the arena sports, well, I mean, ties back across, yeah, ties yeah. into that. Yeah. But yeah, so there's all that tree watering yeah. that goes on in the field, there's no meter on it. But this year, no one watered, did they? Um, I didn't. In terms of our town irrigation systems, they would have been running regardless earlier in the year. We're, they're not a um, um, demand system based on actual rainfall. They're an automatic system. 
So we water the lawns just like McDonald in the middle of the thunderstorm. Yeah, exactly. Well, you should check that because I walk across the sports yeah. field at PA and I didn't get my feet wet this year like I did other years, other than the fact when it was raining. Which is good because then they're actually coming on when they're supposed to at 5 a.m. and not 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which they had been for a while. That time. <laughs> That's not Especially in the water. Yeah. <laughs> During a soccer game one day, which was fun. So um, while you're <laughs> while you're waiting to buy these super duper water meters, can we get water water produced water bill estimated consumption non revenue consumption and. Uh, Estimated, uh, unaccounted water, estimated water loss. Isn't that something uh, the uh, AFC will help us with? Don't they have some tools on, on that? Like, I thought our, our water meter people, they do have some uh, um, reports that we can get for them. I will see if we can pull up some data to report that. No, but there is there is a the official process for doing a water balance of your municipal water supply. I you measure what comes out of your your plant, and then you look at the other stuff and you figure out where all the losses are. Now I don't, I think based on the information we just heard, I don't think we've gone out to do a full one, but maybe we do have a partial one. I will, uh, I would count on that. <laughs> so, uh, we will definitely look into that and uh, and then provide uh, the KBI back on that. So the other uh, set of KPIs we were looking for, well, there's two sets. So one was on garbage. I mean, how much waste is collected, how much waste is recycled, how much, how, ma how many complaints we get. And I understand that you have uh, deflected those off to GFL, but that doesn't mean that we can't get a, a number off GLL, GFL as to how many complaints we've received and even a gross characterization of those complaints. We don't measure it, we can't manage it, and we're responsible for managing the garbage. But we can uh, provide uh, a, a number back that we, we log all our concerns back into GFL. You can, you can all the garbage us. ones that go to GFL? We're still received on that. We had uh, four, I think, last week, was it? Four or five? Correct, yeah. That we resolved. Yeah. Uh, but generally, the, the so concerns will come back, so the concerns will come back. Uh, into uh, the town office, we'll log them in the ticket and then forward them back on the GFL. So we can definitely track those. So are the complaints down? They have been over the last uh, two to three weeks. Maybe we shouldn't go to this well, I didn't tell him. It sounds like but he'll be complaining. Let's cancel snow removal this winter and garbage pickup. What the hell? Just on the on the, the I think this is stating the obvious, but uh, just on the GFL stuff. You know, I, I think a couple of residents have said to me, you know, the the GFL number was provided. And I was to phone them and this and that, and 
the two residents in particular called me and said, you know, I've got a contract with the town of Peace River. I, I, I don't have a contract with GFL. So, so don't be giving me somebody's name in Edmonton or the local guy because I want to phone you. You're, that's who I pay my taxes to. That's your job. So anyway, my point is um, when we pass this off to GFL, I, you know, I, I, I think that's fair, but I, I don't think we should be directing our residents to be phoning GFL. They, sh they should be phoning us. That way we understand the issue and we can report it. Uh, and again, we speak directly with our customers, not not through the contractor. Just a, a side note. Okay, and what about um, uh, KPIs for hydrants? Are we gonna develop a cable format for, uh, for hydrants and where we're at on those? Or are you going to give that to emergency services? Um, well, we can track hydrants, but it depends upon what you're looking at for information for hydrants. Um, like, uh, you can view a number of uh, hydrants flush yeah. per year. Uh, you can uh, provide a KPI for hydrants winterized. Yeah. What, uh, any other things you want to highlight on the engineering one? At the risk of prolonging this, so could you scroll down to number two under facilities? Um, I'm not sure if this is CEO Parker's item or yours. I hope I'm on the right page. It says directors discussed a tender to be put out for all town vending machines. Yes, yeah, so what, what we have is we have vending machines uh, in a couple of different locations. Uh, and if you actually that's through Director Bells, or sir, uh, you would like to take it over? Uh, we just have vending machines at the pool, um, and we are looking at the airport also. So, but currently we have different providers at each of our facilities. So we're looking at a combined um, our request for proposals. To, for new vending services at identified facilities. Okay. All right. I, I just, when I read all town vending machines, I thought, okay, we're putting vending machines in the town office. Uh, okay. Um, these are, this is the airport and, and the pool. pool. And we're looking at public works for their coffee room. I thought the airport one was taken out of the uh, all-town vending machine proposal because uh, at the request of Live Cardinal. Uh, yeah, uh, so what, what would happen, we look at that, uh, they were saying uh, they'd like to keep the, the local candidate uh, um, uh, in the running at this particular time, but to be quite honest, uh, we reviewed the costs and it's actually costing the town to keep that vending machine and we're paying to have it there. At the airport. At the airport. We're, we're literally paying for the electricity. We, we, I think we, oh my goodness, it's about $650 a year. There are, and that note, I've had two individuals that are local within the immediate region that are offering similar services. So the current provider at the airport, there is an additional provider. So going back to good practice of offering fair, process 
Um, there may even be others locally that we're unaware of. So, and there's a lot of options now. There's that healthier option, option um, to provide more um, healthier actual vending items within the vending machine. And at the pool, for example, we'd like to go that route. Uh, the staff are actually asking for that. So, but how are we going to reconcile the airport vending machine when the airport will become a part-time company? So what happens is that uh, it, um, the contract will then be automatically uh, switched over to the part-time company. So it's just trying to get the best service overall. Um, so and you'll you'll do an economy of scale contract correct. basically, and then you will. Uh, so rather than one individual serving the airport and charging you fifteen hundred dollars, you'll get someone that charges that covers all two or three places for fifteen hundred, and you will just what? How how would you back charge that? It'll depend on how many vending machines they have. Uh, um, so, for example, the airport, they had three at one point, uh, they, they took out one of them. So, if you have a total of 10 vending machines, they'll, they'll have each vending machine, uh, the newer ones, they have these great electronic components on it. So, they can actually tell you uh, exactly how much comes from each one. So, it might be based on, when we put this out for tender, it might be based on volume, it might be based on machines. So, we just want to see what that is coming back, and at that point, then we can backtrack it to the, the various uh, uh, areas. So did we communicate that back to like Cardinal? Uh, no, not at this time. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That answered my question. I read it, but somewhat differently. <laughs> Councillor Needham, we spent at least 10 or 12 hours talking about vending machines, so <laughs> it's, you know, a lot of time and effort into this. <laughs> as long as you sample some of it too, it's pretty good. Um, I have a question about number six, water system number one. So six one. Um, Alberta Transportation relocating this water line at bumper to bumper, etc. Um, who pays for that? Uh, that one there. So we sat down with Alberta Transportation last week, and we requested that be included as part of Alberta. Alberta Transportation's work, and we would review the design, but Alberta Transportation is covering the costs. Uh, okay. Any further questions on engineering? Uh, monthly protective services. September 2006 protective services. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he'll get some questions about October's fire, but this only involves September 2016. Yeah, that'll come next month. <laughs> <laughs> they had the report uh, in front of you, I believe, 24 calls during September, uh, majority of calls, um, as you can see, alarm calls and uh, motorcycle collisions. Um, but the number of man hours is greatest on the motorcycle collisions and uh, vehicle fires. Any questions on the report? There was a question I received from Deputy uh, Mayor. I don't know if we've uh, an answer to that. Do you want to share the question with us, Deputy Mayor? Well, I was behind the times in realizing that um, September 11th Remembrance Ceremony 
is the ceremony that recognizes the work that's been done by various protective services and um, it's a um, not a celebration but an honorary thing each year yeah it's in, in the remembrance of the the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center in the Pentagon in 2001 and every year since uh, the fire department's had a, a kind of ramp ceremony at the fire hall on that day and uh, it was nine o'clock on that morning and then we take that time to remember all the fallen firefighters that have died since and this year was the 15th anniversary of that so we had a, a, a large occasion about 30 members with RCMP, AHS, uh, other fire departments from the region and then we had a pancake breakfast and also had a presentation from a firefighter who was actually at the Pentagon uh, during the attacks or right after the attacks he worked for the Arlington County Fire Department he's now a member in uh, Grimshaw Fire Department he gave a really good presentation of the events of that day and how they dealt with it and, um, anyways I took it as September 11th Remembrance Day saying isn't that November 11th Remembrance Day. So we cleared it up. So thank you. Well, at least you didn't do a Donald Trump and remember it as 7 11 as opposed to 9 So, uh, vehicle fires uh, and uh, motor vehicle collisions sure uh, take a lot of manpower. Or woman power. And or yeah, usually a vehicle fire could be done Insurances out and clean up could be a couple of hours, so you have seven to eight guys on each one. But the alarm calls basically that's just the uh, officer on duty responding. That's why those ones are low in the manpower. Are they all false alarms? Uh, they are. So I, I started looking at, and I don't actually show it here, um, to give me more, more numbers, but um, for the alarm calls for September, 67% were just due to cooking, people were cooking setting off alarm calls. Um, some of those are from residences. We're getting a lot more residential um, alarms as more people are getting alarm systems, fire alarm systems tied into their security system. So when they cook, it goes off, we get a call. Um, go. But of those, there's a certain uh, uh, care facility in town. We do get a lot of calls from it, something I need to address. 50% of the uh, 50% of the 67% um, was to one facility. So, so uh, do we have something in the bylaw that allows you to assess a fine? There is, um, and that's something I need to address. It's, it's a tricky one. You don't want to get to the point where people don't call you when there's an alarm. Um, so the real thing that there is in the bylaw for these alarms. So. Or being called uh, repeat alarms. So, yeah, Do we add on your KPIs and uh, fire inspection? Yeah, maybe even uh, maybe have a target every year, along with uh, what was the other one that you had down there? Uh, fire drill evaluation. Okay, yeah, I wasn't uh, around that KPI, but I can, I can look at that, get that in some kind of table form. Any questions? 
Mr. Fire Chief Harris. I have uh, two, Your Worship. Um, just under training, um, like I know I've spoken to you about it. I'm not sure if the rest of the council is aware of it, but could you speak to the uh, the, the joint training you're doing with the road crops, Steve? So that was just um, a road course that's been run at St. Isidore Fire Department with the county, uh, Northern Sunrise County. Um, and they basically offered a couple of spots for a couple of our guys to attend. So we have one, one member from Peace River Fire Department and one member from County Northern Lights attending. And the, the other thing I heard, you have some, uh, I guess another question is how many volunteer members are we are we up to now? Because I've heard of some old members putting in their applications to rejoin. So where are we at there with volunteers now? Um, with the volunteer side, we're still at uh, 33, I believe it's, we have had new members uh, join. Again, we've had a couple of members leave. It just seems to be the way we get uh, an influx of people and then of our older guys leave, just moving away for work. Uh, but there are one member who has rejoined um, from the past member and uh, of interest from a couple of others. Good. We uh, somehow tracked that as well, just uh, uh, staffing, you know, maybe full time and no pun intended. So. And then volunteer, uh, volunteer members, and yeah, well, what your target might be. What is your target for you? Oh, yeah. We get close and then people leave. So we're just running a new recruit class right now of uh, seven members uh, with Peace Fair Brand Academy and Northern Lights. So they've just completed their second part of the, of the new recruit training. Just, I'm just curious, Tim. I, I could ask you this uh, outside of council, but uh, what the hell the uh, the fire drill the, the, uh, stuff? I obviously the provincial building you is a contact over there. But when you do like Stonehenge or something like that, how do you? Is it the condo association? Like there's individual owners in there. So who? How do you tee that up then, or is it? Uh, so that that one was through the condo association through the condo so contact to do us. Their caretaker, um, and they like to do an annual. It's an annual requirement for apartment buildings to That's do That's what I was driving at. Yeah. So they're obviously on board with that because they see it as, as a benefit, obviously. So. Yeah. And we facilitate that, and we I go there in the evening to do it. So when the people are home, I'm doing it in the middle of the day. So, so do you do uh, heritage showers? Yeah, we do. There is that some organizations will run their own fire drills. There's no requirement for us to be there. They will ask us sometimes to be there to evaluate, to give them, you know, um, direction and, and notes. So Heritage Towers, Green Valley Apartments, um, Garden Court Apartments, those ones. Uh, the Northeast Housing Authority, they usually ask us for assistance. But there's no, it's not a part of the fire court to run drills. Is there like it is part of the fire court to run drills. It's not to have us present. So when we when I had the fire drill evaluations, those are ones we've been asked to come and evaluate their fire drill to give them pointers as to improve. Like I know the provincial building we're obligated to do, but I thought it's part of the provincial health and safety program, but it's because it's in the fire code that the, the province does it then. 
Yeah. Right. So there's no requirement. It's good if we go there, the schools, and that kind of thing, we can, we can give them some help. I have one, it would be on tree planting. Mm -hmm. I had anticipated this. I, I thought so. So, when the bylaw uh, duties were assumed by the rec facilities coordinator, mm -hmm. um, did the bylaw department in turn pay the rec department for those hours, or it was just here it is? Okay, so then. Uh, the trees that weren't planted because of that, I understand, mm -hmm. do they become kind of deferred infrastructure? The short answer would be yes. Um, whatever the recreation facilities coordinator had been planning, he would then fulfill that plan for 2017 and in addition in addition to that have his 2017 plan in place also thank you and um, I hope those trees do get planted for various reasons but uh, I'm just wondering there was a comment about um, uh, charging it's sort of charging I guess say the arena for the water that it used finding out whatever that was and it would become part of the operating cost that's correct so I'm kind of wondering why the bylaw costs would not have been paid by the bylaw department, however that is, rather than recreation for those hours. Well, and, and typically in this happens, I don't want to say regularly, but it, it can happen where another department is um, empty of the staff or someone is on leave there's a reason why that there's a position empty someone else will usually pick up some of that work um, but the cost stays within that particular location in this particular case the individual was still on payroll and being paid so it, we were just helping out the greater team essentially is what I'm I understand the greater team yeah. but I'm just kind of wondering about how much the greater team comes <laughs> at that cost um, and looking back now I'm not sure the rec facility coordinator could quantify he could guesstimate in this but we didn't track it per se thank you yeah I see uh, you're requiring people to pay before their their advertising sign is installed. Yes, and it's working very well. That should save us a lot of headaches down the road. I actually think it's um, assisting everyone. Uh, and we're coming across a couple of glitches of assumed it was your sign or my sign or somebody else's sign. So some of those items are getting cleaned up. And we've actually met our revenue to date on that particular area. Oh, so wow. yeah, it's actually working out quite well from our perspective. 
I, I shouldn't speak on behalf of the user group, but it is working from the administrators. That is correct. So we've tried to consolidate all of our visitor statistical information. Um, the museum continues to do quite well. They are slightly down, but there was a major event last year that accounted for the um, visitor difference. Um, and then, of course, at the pool, we had no visitors as we were closed for shutdown and doing all of the significant work that needs to get done during that time frame. But again, our statistics are up from the previous uh, year. And then under the FCSS programs, we've provided some of uh, the programming statistics for you, uh, especially the nonprofit workshops. Uh, we've held two to date, and there is a third workshop on the November 4th, I believe, that's coming up. So providing supports to our nonprofits to be a little more sustainable and uh, self-sufficient. It might be low numbers, but that's 12 more people than um, we were meeting with previously. So, And the Taxi Pass program, I hadn't been providing as a monthly KPI, which I'm going to start. I noticed that um, in one of my report developments that the tax pass program had been brought to council's table maybe on average twice or three times a year so i thought i would just add it as a monthly kpi and then you just see a regular report on it and for the taxi pass are those numbers to the cert the same time for each of those years Correct. yeah december 30th uh, of each year yeah So, so at the bottom, you're going to put year to date, which is you guys call it month, month totals, but maybe year to date. And so, likewise, yeah. so the taxi pass program, are you going to give us the monthly one and then the year to date? Um, I actually, I, be I believe this is year to date. Yeah, I would oh. hope so. Yes, it is. It's year to date for the taxi pass program. Otherwise, I could tell yeah. break down where is unfavorable. <laughs> For joy riding in the past. Excellent. So is the pool going to be making money the next three months? Absolutely. Okay. So maybe a motion to accept uh, items, uh, items one, two, three, four, and five under reports for information. No, no, so I'll make that motion right there. Okay, all in favor? And uh, under council reports. Can we counselor? take a break before we do? Uh, yeah, we could. Why are you anticipating this is going to take quite a while? Why? I'm hoping not, but uh, I still like to take a break. Okay. <laughs> 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 Good point. Ten minute break. I'm allowed in the middle. Tom, are you?
So I met your friend Lloyd Krauss for this. Oh, did you? So what the hell is that? That's yeah. Yeah, I would have. I would Yeah, 
Don't go by that one down and said found in mail. I'm going to be interviewing the Yeah, I'm 
I know what he's kidding is like he can't say Trying to make me believe it is I'll let you know first. Councilman Burr, I hope you took advantage of those 10 minutes. Well, you take that, I don't want to. Matter of fact, take them both. <laughs> <laughs> So we're at Councillor Reports. Uh, Councillor Burr has, uh, um, is our, is your, so you're our primary at the Mighty Peace Tourism Association. I was an alter when I came oh. so. And uh, so you, and so you went to your first MPTA meeting and they hit you up for a <coughs> increase in their race. I've been to a couple already, Your Worship, but uh, it's been interesting. But yes, they're talking about trying to increase revenues for the association so they can do a little bit more. 50% increase. They haven't increased the rates for a long, long time. <laughs> and we're only talking, like for our town, it'd be 6700 bucks, so it's not going to be the end of the world. And they're talking about phasing that in over a three-year period. So and again, we have a point, do we do it like 50 cents first year and then 25, 25 or 25, 25, 50, however, you know, they're looking for feedback. Um, their next meeting of the board will be either late November or early December, and that's the time when they'd like to have a discussion uh, and put on the table in terms of how, you know, what they would propose to take back to Children's Valley. So I'm not, again, there wasn't enough discussion to, to get a sense. Um, you know, whether most councils bring inside it. I think there seems to be a fair amount of recognition that in order for the, the association to do what they need to do, they need the uh, additional funds. And, and as an example of how they use their funds, and, well, years ago, I, with our scouts, we canoed the Peace River, and we run into some tourists from Germany that were you know, floating a barge down the river, and I go, how the heck did these guys decide that they were going to float down the Peace River? But I found out the Tourism Association about 10 years ago had a promotional program in, in Europe and promoted this as an opportunity. And so they had a, I mean, it wasn't millions of German tourists came in there, but there's a substantial amount of people, and that's new dollars being brought into the community. So overall, you know, what's the actual KPI, so to speak, in terms of return on investment? I don't know that they could Pay that, but there's definitely you know, when they get out promote stuff, they are bringing uh, tourists to the Peace Region. Many of them will stop and stay in Peace River and spend dollars here. So I, you know, first I think there's a net net benefit, you know, value added to it. Now whether you can say we're getting you know return on our investment, 100, I'm not sure, but uh, that's their ask. They're looking at some other things to to increase their funding. They're not just going back to municipalities. They're talking about making a number of different grants to the province. Uh, they're looking at a corporate membership fee, uh, trying to, uh, um, and I, this part I could have been on me, so I'm not sure what that will go for, but they're hoping you know, some of the larger companies would help provide and subsidize some of the activities they're getting into. 
Uh, they're looking at a destination marketing fund where they can try and do some additional funds for that. And they're also looking at some feature service opportunities. They've got someone there that's pretty uh, decent with doing Facebook and that kind of stuff and trying to help businesses to be able to uh, increase their presence in social media and you know, provide coach that kind of stuff on a feature service basis. So that's uh, kind of the basis of coming forward with a request to get agreement to increase your funds. So how many how many members there are in that group you would you guess the mix? About nine or ten. Yeah. Yeah, there's like all like us, the three municipal rural's right around us, Grimshaw, uh, Fairview, I think Manny's on there. It's so like there's, there's a different one further north, north as it go? They don't, separate. Yeah, it's a separate one. Mackenzie yeah. does kind of their own thing. Yeah. But the uh, Northern Lights is on on this one. Um, and I think south of the river on, you know, Spirit, by Fairview. Spirit River and they go to the very big, right? Yeah, like, you know, the town, we're on it, and then the museum is on as well, because there's some commercial stuff there. So. And then they can, uh, individual businesses can be on there, so it's a number of different tourism operators that have been on the committee and been quite active in it as well. So. Uh, what are they? What are we going to get for the extra dollars? What do we get for the two dollars? They're promoting the mighty peace as a church destination. Well, I love apple pie and uh, and ice cream too, but like give me some something real. Like what what tangible benefits do we get? Well, some of the things they've done recently, and I'm not sure they they did that photo photo thing where they provided each municipality with a bunch of you know, high quality photographs for the municipality that municipalities can utilize for their own promotional activities. Um, I think they do a number of print, print magazines still, uh, they might be a tourist. Yeah. I think they're a sponsor of the Paddle Beast promotion as well. They've been involved with that, yeah. yeah. Your worship at council, what we could do is we can actually make an actual request to have them come to council and actually provide the, the services that, uh, that they do. And then that would give council, all of council, an understanding of, of what they do and you know and their benefits. Matter of fact, we should actually any organization that we're funding like that right. come and give reports to council at least annually. So I had understood uh, just to clarify what Councillor Purr said. I think I saw an email just recently. Their next meeting is November 28th. So if we could have them do what you suggested between now and the 28th, that would be good. We can request, they're in a transition thing. They're currently, um, the fellow from the Vault Magazine, he's coming <laughs> in on an interim basis for a year, and they're just, after the last meeting, they were doing interviews to replace him, so I'm not sure where they'll be at that status, but I'm sure Tormaine, hopefully Tormaine would be able to come and spend it and you know, give us a presentation. But. So, but he isn't going to be the director? Not after December 1. So how long has he been the director and how long was he was the director before him and how long was that person? No. Melanie was there Definitely. before him. She was there for less than a year, I think. So there's been a fair amount of transition. So. And again, it's one of these low groups, you know, that doesn't have a lot of funding. I mean, if, if we paid triple what we paid and everyone else did, then they could hire someone at a higher rate and be able to you know, get someone that's going to stick around. So but, uh, it's a real catch-22 situation for any of those kind of mostly volunteer groups. 
Do you know what their total? Do you know what their total budget is per year? Annual budget. I I that was in there. Like I've got some of their money. I their budget. I'm not sure when they, when they do it. I'd have to dig around and see what I can come up with. So thanks. Uh, Mr. Town, how are you going to afford this additional seven thousand dollars? I think the idea of asking them to uh, come up with some information to support their increased request, um, whether it's before the budget process or during, makes a lot of sense just so we know what they're what they're spending on now and, and what they intend to spend on for the future. So we see we could get our bang for the buck. I would assume they'd be pitching that together for all the members. So I guess that's kind of one of the reasons I was asking would they not have a sort of package that they would say here, take this to your council and that one, that one. What, that wasn't provided. But well, they did, like at each of the meetings, they do present their, you know, their, their own, not nearly as much as what Craig gives in terms of their variance reports of what the budget is and, and what their revenues have been. And that fact is. But I mean, even activities on what they've spent some of their money on or what they've supported over the last year and projects would be of value in that. And that's some of the information. I didn't know how much into the weeds we wanted to get. I, I can go back and help you go back and. Some of the previous agenda packages and take that up. But again, we, you know, I guess I want to make sure we have a discussion now. We can go back and collect this information and come back. We just have to have, you know, a fairly decent indication for that meeting on the 28th of November. So, do they get funding from the Chamber of Commerce? Um, no. <laughs> I think, no, it's, yeah, that was a rhetorical question. Yeah, no, the chamber has been attending their meetings. Their their uh, executive director, whatever, has been attending those meetings. And you talked about corporate uh, participations from a dollar point of view. Would that be a corporate? The chamber? Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think it would be. No, when they're talking corporate, they're talking like Shell and BMI, you know, some of the, you know, some of the energy companies. Again, part of it is trying to, you know, give them information stuff to support, um, you know, their recruitment activities, trying to get people to come to the come to the peace region. So, well, I, well, I, again, I did not attend the last meeting as Councillor Bird did, but uh, I know one of the long-standing issues was that uh, you know you go to the meeting, so it's the Mighty Peace Tours Association, and I look around the table, and there's a bunch of elected people there and, and I've shrugged my shoulders several times and said, well, where, where's, where's the business association? Where's the people that have got a vested interest in tourism? Like, where are the, where are the operators? Where are the, where are the guest ranches? Where are the, the hotel people? Where's the food industry? Uh, so it's all, they've struggled as an organization to, you know, and, and obviously they hire a gentleman like Tormeg who tries to do the, the work and tries to but yeah, it it uh, um, it, it unless it's changed, that's certainly a challenge. I mean, a bunch of politicians sitting around and talking about tourism is one thing, but it would be a lot better if there was a bunch of private business people sitting around and talking about tourism, um, not elected staff or not elected uh, officials. Um, but you know, the idea of invited format here—that might be the simplest way, and maybe. <coughs> You can maybe talk about some of those challenges as well, and maybe, you know, like you 
he may as well lay out the storyline, whether it's whether it's him or whether it's somebody else. I, um, you know, I, I think you know the, the torch will get passed to the next guy, and business, business will carry on. But um, I, I think maybe the easiest way is just to ask him to come and do a short presentation. Certainly attend. I've attended a couple of years now. I will look around the council table, and if someone else wants this opportunity, I would be pleased to take a desk or stand down. And if somebody else wants to go, that's that's fine too. Um, um, I don't think any of us are air cadet alumni. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> fair enough. I uh, I will uh, carry the uh, carry the message on Wednesday. Of Suggest you're presenting on top of the Alberta government, but I, I think yes, I think they've confused. Uh, I think they used a template letter, and uh, I presume that you're laying a wreath on behalf of the town. But that's only my assumption. Okay, so um, well, we we I guess we need a motion to uh, have a wreath working. Self-serving politician, Colin. So, what's chances of getting us all together for a photo op on November 11th with that? <coughs> yeah, we'll 
Yeah. So whoever wants to be there after the service will get a picture and get uh, be available now. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing is a motion to, uh, to uh, request administration to purchase a, what do we say, uh, purchase a wreath or purchase a wreath for November 11th or Remembrance Day? I would put motion on the floor that the town purchase a wreath for uh, November 11th service 2016. And I, well, I'd like to put a motion in the name of America to kind of give his usual great speech that everyone. Uh, are we going to enable all councilmen then? Or we just well, or mayor, mayor and council then. I, I think I'd be able to come, but just whoever wants to come, I think we do. So. I think, I think our citizens have enjoyed your uh, speeches. You always come up with some unusual language. <laughs> Just to refresh everybody's mind, and this is a test of mine, so the first one was the Canadians held the line, and last year was the Canadians filled the gap. So what are you going to say this year? They overcame. <laughs> I, I guess we... we we're, we're charging now. We're going to charge ahead, all right. Across the battlefield. Okay, so uh, your motion is to enable... Enable uh, Mary Council attend. Oh, uh, we haven't voted all on, on the... Uh, on the wreath, uh, all in favor. And on enabling Council, uh, Rod Burr's motion to enable Council and Mayor and to attend the uh, November 11th ceremony. So that's passed. Okay, uh, that then takes us. Uh, oh, we got a nice little letter from the Peace River School Division. Actually, that was. Uh, I think that's good to get that letter. I guess we can reply to that letter and uh, and talk about what else we would have liked to have seen in the motion. Correct. But for now, we'll just. Uh, And I think that was because we were waiting for somebody to make quorum. That's right. That's why we didn't start at four. So. <laughs> Vice chair or run that committee? Vice is usually easy. 
So what, in there for a long so what, what do you do at the organizational meeting for this group? Pardon me? What do you do at the organization? So are there positions available? Yes, yes. And you're correct. There's chair and vice chair and a couple of others on the executive general. Are you going to go for the executive? Probably. Excellent. Yeah. I'm sure there won't be too much of an arm wrestle. <laughs> A uh, letter dated October 4, 2016 from Psycho Tower Friendship Center. And how are we going to handle this one? They're asking for money. We've actually responded. We just want to put this on to the agenda. Okay. And what was our response? The response is uh, the fund is depleted right at this moment. Uh, uh, we'll be putting it on for next year's. So. I'm certain we had a motion to this effect at the last meeting. Oh, is that correct? Do we really want to do this? I, I mean, the way we've gone through that finding has really, like, I think this is an important issue. I don't know how much you want to yeah. but I think it's something we, we want to go along with our push. We want to do something for you know indigenous peoples and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I don't know whether. The CEO could find a little bit of money, but I think we should really look at trying to come up with something. Do we have a so we have the Aboriginal <coughs> Interagency Committee? So is there a fund associated with that committee? No. Remember, this is the same group that asked, um, is responsible for organizing the powwow, um, the um, uh, walk for murder sisters. Yeah, sisters in spirit. And it seems to me there's another one, I can't remember what. So would it be, would it not be prudent for us to go back to them and say, you know, you guys come back to us every year with the same requests over and over again. Can you put together an annual request instead of getting us five times in the course of the year? And would that, would that do any better or no? That might make sense, but. Right, I guess you're right. <coughs> I also think you just know that this comes Somewhere? How much are they asking for? Well, they've given us an option to buy a, uh, you know, oh, platinum, gold, silver, you know, depending on what you want to spend, right? Your Worship Council, if you want to find some funding, um, we can find a place, just move motion and uh, we'll find it. So, going back to my variance report, I suggested and I'm still comfortable that we are projecting towards a surplus position. So if council wants to uh, enact this and, and forward some funds to this agency, you know, that that's not gonna make or break it. So that'd be council's decision. It would just come from grants to groups. Has the response, has the response already been sent? Yes. yes, it has, but we can always uh, say that council has reviewed it and uh, no, not a problem. 
they, they, you know, they responded and said, oh, they totally understand, but uh, uh, we didn't, I don't think we gave them funding last year. Either. This for this, I think we did. This one? I don't know what the big ask is. We've had a couple of bigger asks this year that we haven't had. Like last year we had money this time. I, I, I had to stick my memory. I think we gave two or three grand, which I don't know that we can afford this year. But, uh, so so one is platinum, so one is gold, one is silver, one is bronze. I remember reading that, but I don't see it. It's in the text here, Larry. So bronze is a thousand. <coughs> What else have we decided we didn't have money for in the last little while? Uh, Pretty much everything. Yeah, but what were they? Uh, there was the, uh, the talk from the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Ted Hirsch. Uh, the chair, like the, the bench, the bench for the Sisters of Spirit, I don't think we kind of done Oh, we didn't fund no. that? I don't think so. But in terms of our priors of the council, like to me, this dovetails well within that. I mean, trying to promote, you know, I mean, I think it's a worthy activity trying to promote and incentivize, you know, young indigenous students to pursue further education. Where are they hosting this? Like, it's in town here, but where? At the Travelers, I think. Travelers, because they're saying 140 years. It'll be the travelers and it's still the bay building downtown. <laughs> so are you making a motion? Did you make a motion? I haven't got a sense like I'm thinking like fifteen hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the gold. If it was only fourteen ninety nine we'd still be at so well, let's let's get over the gold. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, there's no, it uh, seems like Could we take it out of that sidewalk you're putting down on your street? No. <laughs> <laughs> no that sidewalk's pretty important. <laughs> okay, so what's your motion? I'll make uh, a motion that the. Can we sponsor the. Sponsor the. Uh, the Aboriginal Youth Career Workshop to. $1,500. Okay, all in favor? Next. That wasn't a recorded motion. So <laughs> but I can't so it's just, <laughs> just you. <laughs> it's passed. Okay. Uh, so, we, I need a uh, motion to accept items three, four, and five for information. Councilor Anita, all in favor? Your Worship, I didn't have a, an actual submitted report, but I do have a quick verbal report under Councilor Report. Okay, what's your report, Mr. Board? Yeah, so on uh, October 18th, I attended the uh, RCMP CAC committee meeting. Um, just coming out of that, um, out of that meeting, 
there is one officer position here in Peace River that is designated a bilingual police position, which uh, their upper people are looking at getting rid of. As far as not losing the not losing the the actual officer position, but losing the bilingual position, um, there is going to be a, a meeting to get information in regards to supporting that or not supporting that, which will be at the cultural center in Saint Isidore on the 26th at 9:30 a.m. I think it's important that uh, we support um, a bilingual position out of this deta detachment and I'd just like to be able to attend that meeting. I would move that Mr. Ford get be enabled to attend the RCMPCAC uh, bilingual police position meeting in San Isidro. Yes. Uh, October 26th at 9 30 a.m. at the San Isidro Cultural Center. Yes. All in favor? Thank you. Any notices of motion? Mr. Parker? There are none, you worship. Then there were, Mr. Dietrich, did anyone uh, request uh, to make a comment? No, they did not. Uh, so what, uh, what do you, so you sat through the entire meeting, Mr. Dietrich, what, what items are you going to put out on Twitter? Um, in terms of an interesting one, the, uh, RFP for the Peace Regional Recreation The RFP for the Peace Regional Recreation Center is a big one. It's about a garbage update, even though we can get the bylaw. Okay. Okay. Colton. Yeah, that's all I have is the arena. Yeah, you, you just care about the arena, right? Yeah. <laughs> just been watching hockey all day. <laughs> and the uh, Aboriginal thing, we also do the Aboriginal gathering in the past. So, well, Aboriginal gathering in the what? Past. Yeah. Fashion show. I didn't get the fashion show part. Did I miss? It? Did I speak to part of the meeting? I don't think we enabled or supported that, did we? Unless it was called something else. They didn't ask us for money for that event this year, but they did assist with the uh, Aboriginal fashion show. They do it every year. This year was at the Sunday. We got nothing. So you all talking to Terry and Tannen about the. Yeah. So a uh, motion to adjourn. Sure. Okay.